art of story where we watch a movie, break it down for the story structure and see what we can learn from it. Uh, today, we're going to be uh, talking about Arrival. I'm joined by Adam William Cahill, a good director and friend of mine. Adam, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an Irish film director, indie filmmaker. Uh, I, have, I have a feature film that has literally only just, just been released this year uh, called Follow the Dead. My company is Wild Stag Media. And so I'm also in the process of making the sequel to that movie and a few other things. So if anybody wants to check out what I'm doing and um, all the behind the scenes kind of cool stuff that comes with that, then Wild Stag Media is where you can find me. But um, I'm really delighted to be on here and get the opportunity to talk to you, Adam, because as you know, uh, I've been a fan of your stuff for, for a long time. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck in and uh, arguing. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about Adam is uh, – he would often uh, post videos where he was arguing with some of my older videos and he was telling me everything that I was doing wrong. And I'm like, that's the guy I got to get on here. <laughs> Let me hold on a second. I got to kill this van. There we go. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you, one of the things I love the most is that he was constantly disagreeing with me enthusiastically, but coming from like an intelligent place, like it was actually contributing to the conversation. I was learning from what all the pushback. So um, really good stuff. So to, we're going to do a bit of a new format um, where we jump right into the film and do a deconstruction. Now, deconstruction is where we look at, um, try to identify all the landmarks, the act structure, uh, like the dramatic question, the climax. And the whole purpose of this is to try and get a sense of uh, what they did well and what we can learn from it. As storytellers, as writers, when we're in story development, character development, we want to look at how we sculpt the story by studying the great ones, studying the people who did it successfully and also learn from some things that didn't quite work from us as well or work for us as well. Um, but before we jump into that, I just want to take a quick minute. I, I took some time off for a little bit and uh, I recently came back and we're, we're getting a lot of stuff. We've been working on preparing a lot of uh, cool content that is going to um, it, it, all story content that is hopefully helping people in their writing and their story development or the story art. Uh, I'm going to be teaching some courses uh, with cinematic storyboarding. Uh, and then also we're going to be doing some writing courses as well. So just uh, as long as you subscribe to cinematicore.com, you'll be able to find out more about all the different details and everything we have coming out. But I want to take a quick moment and thank everybody for the incredibly kind words that you guys have been sending. Um, once I, relaunched and kind of set up a new uh, subscription pattern where people can get all of my old videos. I was just inundated with just um, a lot of people emailing me and telling me how much it meant to them to, to be able to see their videos, to see my videos that I put together. And it meant a lot to me because I started this as kind of a, almost a hobby. I didn't, I, I looked at it as something like, well, I've, I've, I've been lucky in my career to work in a lot of really great studios and work with some really great artists and I've learned a lot and I saw a lot of people that were trying to learn a lot of stuff that you know it takes time to learn this stuff and uh and I I'm not sure I totally appreciated uh how it might help other people I was hoping it would but just getting the emails and uh, the responses and a lot of people sending me just really kind supportive words it's meant a lot to me and because of that I'm I'm super fired up to to get all my stuff out there and present it to, to everybody and hopefully, you know, uh, present it in a way that like uh, makes sense to other people. Um, so thank you for that. And it means a lot to me. So let's jump into our movie for the day. And the movie today we have is Arrival. Um, Adam, do you want to tell us a little bit about Arrival? Arrival. Um, Adam, do you want to tell us a little bit about Arrival? 
Absolutely. So Arrival came out in 2016. It absolutely blew my mind when it came out. This is one of one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, if not my favorite, um, which is obviously why I chose it. So the it was made by the director Denis Villeneuve, who I think at the moment can do no wrong. Um, he's obviously still he's not exactly um, at the beginning of his career, but he's certainly not at the end either. So time will tell what his oeuvre will turn out to be but at the moment he makes some pretty outstanding films he tends to always knock it out of the park um and this the film also stars amy adams at the height of her powers because this is around the time where she was making some really really great stuff um she's in another uh, favorite movie of mine nocturnal animals and um so she was doing some really really great stuff around this time and she really does do she gives a stellar performance in this as a very i gotta jump in yeah Yeah, amy adams is like one of my favorite actors i first saw her in june bug Mm -hmm. when she was the first thing i ever saw of her and i think it's one of her first movies and i was immediately like she is going to be huge she's so talented She's so immersive. She's so like, she just disappears into her character. She's fantastic. Absolutely. And it's, and it's very subtle, right? I mean, it's not as though she's like, there's mm-hmm. nothing kind of over the top or, or it's weird. To, I can't say there's one particular thing that, that I can say stands out about her other than that. She's just incredibly good at what she does. It's, 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 uh, yeah. she's just, it's, it's really, really subtle acting, but it's tremendous. She's able to give insane performances. Yeah. The budget of Arrival was $47 million and the return was wow. $203 million. So obviously it did a very wow. good job of making its money back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think the marketing was really, really good though. I think the, the, the kind of style that Denis has lends itself really well to marketing and promotions and um, and it did an incredible job of getting people into the theaters. Um, Critics-wise on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, we, we have a 94% critic score. And an 82% audience score, so pretty well, you know, uh, well thought of across the board. And the really, really well received. Oh, yeah, it's it's just I, I you know I don't know too many people who think little of this movie. Um, and then the logline is a linguist works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after twelve mysterious spacecraft appear around the world, or at least that's the synopsis according to IMDb. So um, that's pretty yeah. good. And I, I just think that the, it's, the, it's kind of missing that like, uh, so, so what is it? It's so she goes to work. Okay. Well, this is the thing. I, I also find like the, 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 the log line for the film is why are they here? But you, you didn't see it on an awful lot of their print media. And I think it's just like, cause it's like, it's a little, it's very on the nose and, but it also, it, and it doesn't say very much. You know, it's, it doesn't really kind of give away an awful lot of what we're going in to see. So I think it was yeah. predominantly the visuals and the tone and the feel of the the trailer that mm-hmm. kind of got people interested in going to see the film. Um, but it's obviously a lot yeah. deeper than what it kind of seems like on the surface. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So it was That's really right. well received in Rotten Tomatoes and, uh, and it did really well. I'm surprised it was only 47, 47 million for the budget. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, by, by today's standards, that's, you know, like Netflix has this uh, uh, cutoff point where it's like anything below 60 million is considered low budget mm-hmm. or independent. And then everything over 60 million is, you know, that's, that's where they invest all the, the marketing and the, uh, the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would have been like a low budget indie production <laughs> today, but it, it just has that big, beautiful, uh, vast feeling that Villeneuve is amazing at, at uh, getting across Absolutely. and really fantastic, uh, well, well, we'll get into this. Okay. So uh, any other thing you wanted to cover with just kind of the, the presentation or the, the setup of Arrival? Um, 
No, I think I th- we'll obviously uncover an awful lot more as we dive into it. I just think that the only thing that I would say about, about Arrival, I think, right at the gate, is that I, I don't believe that it is conventional. It's an unusual one to kind of be jumping straight into because I think there's a lot about this. Yeah. It's going to be, I'm going to, you'll hear me say a lot while we're doing this probably that this is unconventional. It's not going to follow t- a typical story structure in the, if from, yeah. my, from my point of view, but we'll, we'll see as we go. It's part of the one of the things that I, I like about, so we're finding our audience and I've, I've definitely seen in the emails that I've been getting is we have a unique audience. Like, I feel like I'm finding my people. You guys are, are my people because it's, it's an audience that really cares deeply about story, really wants to understand it. They're not necessarily snobby about it or pretentious. They just really want to dive into what it, what can story really offer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's, that's why, like, these are the conversations I want to have. I don't want to sit here and talk about, you know, whether, you know, Captain America can punch harder. Or not. <laughs> that's pretentious. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's I, I love that it's a it's an unconventional one. It's it's a big tentpole movie, but it's also something that like this is what I love about Villeneuve is he he takes things that are high concept, have commercial appeal and then tells them in an incredibly uh, immersive way, uh, artistically, like, um, I would say that he's, he's, he's challenging us. He's not just entertaining us. He's not just, you know, getting us to invest in the emotional narrative. He's also saying something, uh, uh philosophical about the nature of the human condition. And, and he does it in a way that doesn't really lose you. It, it keeps all of the audiences and engages them. So, um, yeah. So, okay. So the first thing, I think the thing about about this movie that that like I I'm very I'm very critical of what movies I would give a ten out of ten, and with Arrival I would give it a ten out of ten because it not only does the right things in terms of giving you the feels, but it makes you think. He wants you to think. He doesn't want you to just entertain you. He wants you to to be uh, caught up with the idea of what he's trying to convey. And so when it's able to kind of aspects of this movie blew my mind. And when you can when you can get get me feeling the feels and you can blow my mind, then you've done your job. You've done anything, you know, that's 10 out of 10 right there. Yeah, that's great. I totally agree with you, except when it comes to the, uh, the rating. <laughs> so you would give this a 10 out of 10. You're just going to throw that out right at the beginning. <laughs> oh, sure. So this is a perfect movie for, for you. For me, this is a perfect score. Per- flawless. I yeah, I absolutely love it. Not, not saying that, that we won't find plot holes, but I'm saying in terms of what I expect a movie to do, what I want from a film, this is uh-huh. 10 out of 10. Okay, fantastic. So personally... I hate ratings. I, I, I don't rate movies just because that it's, it's, I mean, I'll definitely feel like I like mo- some movies more than others, but that constantly shifts for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but when it comes to ratings, you know, personally, I tend to avoid them because I'm, you know, just depends on my mood. Like sometimes sure. I just want the Gilmore girls. Sometimes I just <laughs> want Downton Abbey. Sometimes I just want below deck, the reality show. I'm obsessed with below deck, by the way. Um, <laughs> It's you know, I, I, but it's I, I like normally rate rate films either for that same reason. I don't publicly rate films, but the, but the fact that this is a ten, I'm just like no, it's a ten. So I'm I'm okay with fantastic. Okay, great. I'm I'm really curious. After our conversation, I want to reevaluate that that score uh, just to see if there's any kind of like. Not that I'm going to change your mind. I'm just curious to see like you know because we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive sure. uh, and uh, and jump into it, and Amazing. we're we're making great time. Um, all right. So the first thing we want to do with uh, story structure is uh, just identify the major landmarks. And the first landmark that we want to identify, and this is this is usually what indicates uh, the different act structures, 
uh, is the dramatic question. And the dramatic question is posed as a protagonist will achieve X. It's basically the central problem that the story hinges around. Um, and that's, you know, I would argue that almost every movie has a dramatic question. And this is the tension that that gives that kind of like what Socrates would call the, the unity of action. Uh, and that unity of action is what tells us like, this is the story. This is what the story is about. So in the case of Arrival, uh, we, we want to present it. So we have, um, we have about a two hour, it's an, it's an hour and 55 minutes of production from, uh, opening, uh, opening titles to credits. Uh, and along that timeline, along this timeline, we want to identify where these different plot points land to help us to, um, identify what the dramatic structure is. So with the dramatic question, will the protagonist achieve X Adam, what is your what is your insight for the dramatic question for Arrival? Okay, so our protagonist is Louise, played by Amy Adams. And so mm -hmm. we're obviously following her story primarily. And I believe I would I would state the dramatic question as, will Louise discover the alien's purpose on Earth? Fantastic. I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Um, at what point does that happen? When does she discover um, At what point is the question presented? Oh, is the question presented? So let me let me just uh, break this down for the audience a little bit. The dramatic question is usually the first act is usually about trying to present uh, the problem that's going to be solved, and the dramatic question is posed when the the protagonist takes their first steps to solve the problem, uh, and the dramatic question. So that's that's basically the threshold from act one to act two. So when the dramatic question occurs, when that person, the protagonist takes those first steps, that's when we have the dramatic question being posed in the story. In Arrival, what point does that happen? When the military recruit Louise to translate the alien language. So that is her. She's been given that explicit goal by the military. They've come and they've, they've handpicked her, especially over another individual they were looking at because she gave them a, a clue as to how she would actually be the better choice. So she was mm -hmm. invested in this idea that she, she wants to go, go on, on this journey of discovery. And they have then chosen her to do this. So they take her away from her home in seclusion and bring her to the alien site. Okay. I agree with you that that is a major landmark. But I want to push back a little bit on on what the dynamic is, um, okay. just because uh, I, I would argue that when she's recruited, that is the call to action. Mm -hmm. That is when she is learning. Basically, it's it's what we would call the impetus. Uh, and we're giving away the next question, but uh, the impetus is when uh, the the character's life is thrown out of balance, and they're taking uh, they're presented with negotiating. Like, okay, this is this is what I think the objective is. This is where they're presented with everything that's at stake and they're deciding whether they're going to go forward with this or not. Uh, so I would argue that uh, from the moment she's recruited to the time that she's going through the camp and getting the orientation, she is not actually uh, doing the job yet. I would argue that the moment that she enters into the spaceship and takes her, she crosses that literally like the camera shifts across a threshold and enters into the ship for the first time, that is the beginning of the dramatic question. That is the crossing into the second act. Everything before that is building up to this moment. So I would argue that the dramatic question is posed and that happens at exactly 30 minutes, like on the nose. 
So typically what happens is you have these major landmarks that happen. Um, usually the, you've got the hook, you've got the impetus that usually happens about 15 minutes in the dramatic question is usually generally speaking posed about 30 minutes in, and then you jump into the second act. Uh, midpoint is usually about an hour to an hour, 10 hour, 15, uh, low point, uh, about an hour, hour and a half to hour 45. And then you, you wrap everything up in the last like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, so this, I would argue that that's when we cross the threshold. Do you agree with that? Or, or do you think that's, uh, I think, think I think you've made a strong argument for it. I think you've made a very strong argument for okay. it. I, I, for me, the impetus was more the, the aliens landing in the first place. So we're, we're, we're given a, a certain part of the story that at the beginning that has nothing to do with the aliens, uh, mm -hmm. from f at first glance, then we are, we're seeing, um, Louise go about her sort of daily life or daily routine on the phone with her mother, yeah. uh, going to the college and whatnot. And then the aliens, I, like for me, the impetus was, okay, aliens have landed on earth. What the heck is this all about? And that's presenting the yeah. problem that she innately is connected with because she's going to, she's going to have that sensation of, um, I, you know, it, I, I, as someone who is, um, is trained and has the experience of understanding other cultures that don't speak the same language that would already intrigue her. What do they want and how can we communicate with them? That would immediately be in her yeah. mind. And then when she's actually recruited to do so, I believe the fact that she is just in my opinion, the fact that she goes mm -hmm. out of her way to make a point to the general to say, um, to say that, I don't think he's a general. In fact, I'm thinking, I'm not sure if he's a general, but Forrest Whitaker's character. Um, Colonel Weber, yeah. Sorry, that's the one, Colonel. And so yeah. she, she basically goes out of her way to, to, to say to him, um, go and ask this other guy, does he, can, can he solve this, this, this riddle? And then, so, so when she, like she's made up, she, I, I feel like she's already, she's showing us how all, all in she is on this quest already so when she's taken from her home i feel like that's the crossing of the threshold because that she's he's mm. she's he said she says to her can you give me t i'm gonna need 20 minutes and he goes you've got 10 and she's like right yeah. okay i have to make this decision he's putting me under pressure what am i gonna do and then you see that she she does you know she gets the stuff and she's just immediately out the door she gets it in 10 minutes and she's gone so yeah. I can see the argument, what you're saying as well, though. I can, I can, yeah. I definitely can see that. Like if, if I, if, you know, if, if Denis Villeneuve was sitting next to us and he told me that you were right, I would totally, I could understand that too. Uh, and we also got to add this caveat for everybody watching. Like this is not trying to recreate Denis Villeneuve's or, or uh, screenwriter's process for how they develop the outline and the structure. This is from a strictly audience perspective or critics perspective of trying to understand the, the basic story structure dynamics and uh, deconstruct. We're deconstructing it. We're not trying to uh, project how we believe that they actually created the movie. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just from understanding from like a dramaturgical perspective or an academic perspective. Um, so I would, I would make the case that you said unconventional. Arrival is one of the most unconventional things about it is the fact that I believe that there are two dramatic questions Yes. Two impetuses. Yes. And two climaxes. I'm all in on that. And they and the the thing of it is is that they have um not it's not parallel storytelling, uh, which they're they're playing a lot with time, but they're uh they're presenting the story in a way that is um 
that is competing with or, or immersing us within the different layers of drama. And so I would argue that uh, it, it actually has two dramatic questions. And the first dramatic question is, uh, I, I believe the first dramatic question is posed early on, which is the subtext of it will humanity go to war with the UFOs. So aliens arrive that throws everybody's world out of balance. Right. And it presents it. It's one of my, my, the first act of this movie is one of my favorite. Actually the, my favorite moment of the entire thing is the entering into the spaceship for the first time. It's one of the best first contact presentations I've ever seen. I love it. Um, but uh, so I would say that when the aliens arrive, the first dramatic question is, are we going to war? Will humanity go to war with the aliens? That's almost always a subtext of, con of first contact movies. And this presents it really well. Um, so the dramatic, dramatic question one, I would say, is will humanity go to war with the aliens? And then dramatic question two is will Louise discover the alien's intention? So, so exactly as you posed it. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that the first dramatic question, sorry, are you getting that background noise? The, the aliens arrive. And it presents it in this really great, uh, the thing I love about the way they present it is, is we're with Louise and we're seeing it the way we would see a major national event, which is on the news. And we're, and they did this great thing where they're teasing you with what the aliens and the ships look like. And they're teasing you with it where you're just seeing a little bit of it. And we're seeing it from her perspective. And then right after that, we get a montage of, are we going to war? We see fighter jets flying over. We see all these things in this and literally they're saying, are we going to have to fight these guys? That's when I would say the dramatic question is posed. Okay. The military is engaging them. This isn't just, you know, they're landing and everybody's having a nice conversation or diplomats. It's the military is the first line of defense. So that, that question is posed, uh, right about five minutes in, uh, right after, right after the aliens arrive. And the second one, I would argue uh, the the end of Act One and the crossing into Act Two is when she crosses a threshold into the spaceships. So everything up to that point, she has uh, she has negotiating the stakes. She is figuring out what she's going to be doing. She's getting an orientation of everything she's doing, but she's not actually doing the job yet. She's getting the suit on, but it's not until she crosses through that gravity field into that um, the 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 room with the aliens that we actually are into that second act where she's actually taking the steps to solve the problem. So that's why I would say we've got dramatic question one, dramatic question two. Um, and the, the thing of it is, is um, so the, the, we always tie the dramatic question to the climax and the climax is the answer to the dramatic question. That's why the dramatic question always has to be posed in as, as a will question, like, will they do X and the climax answers that question. And if it doesn't answer the question, then we don't have a climax. So, um, and there's structures that uh, there are some stories that work for that way. But with this one, we have a, uh, we have a climax, we have answers to both of these questions. Um, so it, it is possible that two dramatic questions can climax with this with a single event. <laughs> but I would say in this case, they break it up into two climaxes. Really? which is part of part of my issue with like the story structure where it's, it's hitting some really interesting emotional levels, but ultimately the climaxes function in different ways. 
so so the first the first climax answers the second question, and then the second climax answers the first question. So I would make a case that the first climax uh, is when Louise learns of the alien's intention. So will she learn the alien's intention? Yes, she does. And at what point does she do that? She is told. For first, I, I mean, so initially she's obviously told that they're there to to bring a weapon, which then she immediately tries to calm everybody down and say that the it they don't we don't know what they mean weapon or they mean tool because we don't know that we're completely mm-hmm. speaking the same language yet. Um, so, but she, so she she does discover that they are there to deliver something, some kind of a, a kind of weapon, tool, whatever equipment, whatever it is to the humans um so that would be obviously that would be be the climax to, to, to that particular um that's yeah. question yeah yeah so, so that dramatic question is resolved in it's this the scene i call it the apotheosis scene it's the scene where she is immersed in that field of clouds with the alien and uh what was it abbott or castello one of the two um and uh, and they're saying uh, we've come here to give you a gift because in three thousand years we're going to need help. Mm-hmm. So we're starting an exchange. So we're here because we're going to need help. So we want to make you an offer. So this is that's why when I, we learn what the whole purpose of it. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I think this for me there was two distinct moments because the first time that they're mm-hmm. that she's told that they're they're going to bring a weapon is before that, and and uh, and she goes back to the military explains to them this is what was said but let's not panic because we don't know exactly what they mean yet and then yeah. once they have distanced themselves from the aliens through the the interventions of the soldiers uh then she returns by herself because they send down a pod exclusively for her and then they bring mm-hmm. her up and then they elaborate on that information so obviously initially when they're given the information it's just we're here to give you a weapon or we're here to bring a so weapon. Uh, and then, so I would say that w- when they say offer weapon, mm-hmm. that isn't, they're just making an offer when you're meeting with uh, people like uh, diplomacy, if you're mm-hmm. engaging in diplomacy in any way, mm-hmm. there's often exchanges of gifts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually shown to show like goodwill and good effort and good faith. And so the offer weapon thing, they're simply saying this, we don't know that that's what their purpose is. They, we don't know that they traveled across all these space and dimensions to offer the weapon. We just know that they're offering the weapon. It's not I think, until. Uh, I think it's, I think it's clear that that's part of it, of the, of the, the answer to the question, because yes. she, she goes to them with the question, because at the time where she gets that information, they're concerned that general Shang is going to go to war. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, they're like, we must ask the question now. It's it's now or never. We've got to go ask the question. So then she goes in half cocked almost because they haven't fully gotten to the end of where she was going with the with the development of the mm-hmm. language. And she asks the question. So when they first give that message, we're here to deliver to deliver the weapon or to, to offer a weapon. Mm-hmm. It's it is in direct response to the that her asking the question, which is the dramatic question. You know, so, and then it's subsequent to that that they have to elaborate on that, and that's when we really find out the the, the nitty gritty of of why they're so. Yeah, exactly. So them saying we're here to offer a, a weapon, it, it it answers like it it gives one dimension of it, but yeah. we don't have the full vision exactly. of they're here to offer the gift, so that 
you we can trade. We're going to help you guys and you're going to help us. So yeah. this is the 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 non-zero sum outcome. Um so because of that I would say she has the full answer, the climactic answer, which is they need us and they're helping us so that we can help them. And that's that happens at ex- during the a big apotheosis scene where she sees the full vision of purpose. Mm-hmm. And that happens at about an hour and a half. So I would say that's climax 1. And then climax two is will humanity go to war with the aliens? And the answer is uh, no. Yeah. Louise stops the war. Um, so those two those two are connected, and that it's kind of like her mission within the mission fulfills the larger mission. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, that's why the dramatic questions and the climaxes are connected. It's also part of my issue with the emotional resonance of it, where. Um, We'll get into this a little bit, but but it, I do think Villeneuve is somebody who is much more interested in exploring the visual nature of cinema and story is just the vehicle he uses as a pretext to get us there. He, want, he wants to put us in mind states uh, much more so than um, than tracking like, uh, you know, plot points. Um, that said, I also think he's an incredible dramatist where he makes the plot points incredibly compelling. Um, so... Hold on. There we go. Um, I lost the screen for a second. So, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Two climaxes, two dramatic questions. Yeah, did, I, did think, I make a case? Are you persuaded? You think I'm full of shit? No, I I, I think that there because again of, of the complexity of the story and the fact that there is something mm-hmm. that again we haven't touched on yet, which is that opening scene and the relevance to that in the end. For me. Yep. I I was thinking that there's an undercurrent of a second, um, not not an overt dramatic question, but there is a kind of a the kind of a subversive, uh, a dramatic question in relationship to her and her child. Um, I wasn't good. Thinking, I wasn't thinking along the lines of the will the humans go to war because I was just thinking exclusively about the protagonist. So I was yeah. thinking the way, the kind of the. For me, the, those the, the first dramatic question was sort of answered in two parts in the two climaxes. Is the way that the way that you described it as having I, I can see why why you've done it that way. What I was thinking mm-hmm. was when she we get get asked the question, "Will Louise discover the aliens' purpose on Earth?" We get the answer in the first climax, but then we also need to to, to see a, a fulfillment of okay, she's she's at at that moment we know that she has received. And exclusively her, she has received the weapon or the tool, and then she puts it to use in order to achieve that second climax. So it's not just, I, I, I kind of felt like those two moments were both the answer to the same question. Will she discover their purpose? It's not just that she discovers the purpose. Then with that information, there is an obligation to do something with the thing that she's just been given. That their purpose was, uh, their, their purpose was to deliver the weapon. When she is delivered the weapon, which is the understanding of the language, she then uses that mm-hmm. to achieve what she was supposed to achieve with it. So I kind of saw them as the answer to the same. So question. remember, she was not recruited to stop a war. She mm. was recruited to find their intention. Yeah, true. The fact that she did stop a war, she did almost 
against the will of the military. Like the CIA in particular were trying to do everything they could to sabotage her efforts. But it wasn't against the will of the aliens. Intention. It was the, the not against the will of the, the aliens. Against... aliens. So when we're asking the question, yeah. will Louise discover the purpose, the aliens' purpose? It doesn't have anything to do with mm-hmm. the military in that sense. Will they discover the aliens' purpose? Yes, she does. Yeah. And then when she discovers it, she achieves what they came here for her to achieve. You know, so that's why I, yeah. guess I saw it as an answer to the same question. Even though I yeah, so her her objective, her conscious desire. Now, I do want to make make sure that we're separating. This is this is one of the reasons why we want to start with like the the structure mm-hmm. is that uh, the 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 dramatic structure helps us to engage the subtext and the themes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will, will make the mistake of thinking that the dramatic question, which you don't do this, but I've had a lot of people say that you know they'll they'll say like this this is about humanity's relationship to war or humanity. You know, will she? Uh, help humanity uh, learn the language of time. And it's no, her conscious desire. The dramatic question is different from a thematic question. Yeah. It is. What is she consciously trying to do? Mm -hmm. She's not there to stop a war. She Mm -hmm. is there to learn their purpose and learn their language. Yeah. And then along the way, uh, that's, that's why I believe it's structured that way where we have that first uh, dramatic question, will humanity go to war? And then she plays her part in that which is ultimately she's like, no, we, we don't need to go to war at all. And that's, that's why those are, there are two different climaxes that she engages in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's by learning their purpose and learning their language. She's in a unique position to engage their, uh, to, to stop the war that's, that is coming, but she's not there to stop a war. Um, yeah, let's, let's jump in a little bit more. Um, so I, uh, so we have so generally let's let's play with this idea that there's like a two two dramatic questions and two climaxes. Now from there we want to we want want to track the impetus and the impetus is the presentation of the opportunity or threat. This is the this is the presentation of the problem, um, and uh, just like with uh, the two dramatic questions, this has two impetus. Impetuses. I always screw that up. Impeti, impetus, <laughs> impetuses. Is impetuses? Sounds weird to me. It does. Um, and, and the first one is yes, just like you said, aliens arriving is the problem. Yeah. Or opportunity. We don't know if it's a problem or opportunity yet. We just know it's something that humanity has for to. For humanity, recognize. absolutely. Yeah. For humanity, we don't know that it's the protagonist problem yet. Mm-hmm. We just know that this is affecting her life directly. And she's waiting to see if how this is going to affect her life. Mm-hmm. So the impetus aliens arrive and then impetus two is when she is recruited. recruited. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That so sense. that's when the, the humanity's problem becomes her problem to solve. And uh, it's uh, she's not there to stop a war. She's there to find the purpose. And that, that's why they explicitly say in the helicopter for find out why they're here and what their purpose is, what their intentions are. Okay. So we can agree on that. Two impetuses, more or less. That, this is a very unconventional structure. It's very rare to have two impetuses, two dramatic questions, two climaxes. And but I think nice understanding it in that way. It's part of the reason why the story is so rich for me is that you, you have a, a global goal as well as a local goal that are very much interlinked. But you can see like the stakes are higher because you have the global goal. If it was just Louise's yeah. stakes... Yep. We need Louise's stakes because as humans, we need to have a connection with one other human. If it's just, this is a load of people all around the world experiencing bad things, we don't have that personal connection. So we need that personal Mm -hmm. connection with Louise, but 
the fact that we we can see that humanity may be going to war and you know could, this could be an extinction level event uh that adds so much much more weight to it so i just think it yep. does it gives that extra that extra stakes which is just brilliant that's that's what i love about Villeneuve. he really helps you feel the stakes the entire time yeah you always feel like every single scene every moment has immense weight it's mm -hmm. beautifully done that way yeah. Um, okay. So from there, we want to track the uh, other landmarks that help us kind of fill in uh, uh, the tension and the and the journey from the dramatic question to the climax, which brings us to the midpoint. What would you say the midpoint is? So, do you believe that there are two midpoints as a result of the t two everything else, <laughs> or is there just one midpoint? That's the question. So, I think what happens is we start off with this big human event, like humanity event, world event. Mm -hmm. And then we go nested into Louise's perspective of the event and we track her story kind of. Uh, so everything from dramatic question to both climaxes, it's all from Louise's story. Okay. So I do believe that there's one midpoint and arguably one low point. <laughs> okay. But good question. What, what would you, what, what's your best take on that? From that perspective, and the midpoint is is usually about a reversal, a major reversal. Yeah, a major reversal, sure. Uh, something that flips everything on its head. Maybe things kind of yep. go one eighty. You think the character might believe that they are uh, about to hit their kind of their highest point, achieve the most they've achieved yeah. the story so far, and suddenly the whole rug is pulled from under them, and 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 it all gets taken away. So from that perspective, perfect. I would imagine that the the midpoint would be when Louise goes over to the heptapod and draws the language with them. So like she's, she's basically creating one of the glyphs with the heptapod. So she's never been so close to attaining the, the, the language, attaining the thing that she needs that, the, uh, that, that they're there to give, achieving the purpose, understanding them. She's creating the language with them in, in a sense. And then the military come in and they start attacking the the ship and she gets pulled away which then and i know this takes place over quite a, a, a long period of time so maybe it's a, t a few minutes is too long but obviously inevitably what happens then is the ship distances itself from the landing site so suddenly then she's never been further away so there's a there's a moment that mm. she's very very close to achieve you know she's she's gone there to uh to achieve her goal she's never been closer and then that gets ripped from her and also, we're never, you know, we're, we're also that, in terms of the, the military story, then we're that we 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 we're, we were we're going from peace to possible war in an instant. Yes, that will be my take. Okay, so so one way one way to look at that is uh, so th the objective is the goal is to uh, learn the purpose so that they can stop the war. Mm -hmm. So this is about learning to communicate, and the communication is going to be the key to saving humanity, mm -hmm. right? So it, as we track uh, along the second act, usually, and this actually kind of follows this pattern pretty conventionally, uh, the second act is all about showing the strengths and progress. And usually what happens is the, the protagonist is taking these steps where they're, you know, slowly getting closer to the goal and each step is a success. It's a, a little step in the right direction. Then the midpoint comes in and says, oh, they're like, we almost got this figured out. We're learning everything we need to. We're making real progress. Then the midpoint comes in, slaps them in the face and says, you are further away from your goal than you think. And you have a much longer way to go and you're about to see everything unravel. Mm -hmm. um, I would argue that uh, 
the midpoint is the moment where China um, uh, uh, deploys their uh, military um, and and say that they are um, uh, where where she's uh, translating the moment of um, where, where they're listening to Shang's communication and she says they're mil- they're deploying their military. Mm-hmm. Because from up to that point, everything is progress, progress, progress. All the nations are communicating. Uh, everybody's on the same page. And we're getting closer and closer to understanding this language. Then all of a sudden, he says, uh, Weber says, can you listen to this? You can translate this. So she translates and says, uh, China's about to deploy. This They're using uh, Marjong language as code to talk about how they're going to deploy their weapons. Uh, they're re- getting ready to declare war. Because from that point on, Everything after that, start all of her progress is becoming unraveled. So up to that point, it's we're getting close to understanding language. And after that, we're losing track. And one thing I loved about the structure, which we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit, but each time there's a <laughs> uh, progress in understanding the language, every single scene inside the ship is coupled with a scene outside the ship where Weber is saying, this isn't going to work. I'm not sure this is the thing we need. And he's constantly undermining mm-hmm. all of her progress, mm-hmm. which creates great stakes. It's a really smart way of structuring it because you always feel like there is a, she's always has her feet to the fire to try and solve this problem. And the moment when China deploys is the moment when everybody starts saying, uh, this isn't going to work. And she's so close to getting her answer, but she's failing and she's about to lose everything if, uh, because of Shang deploying mm-hmm. general Shang. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that that, that is the midpoint right there. And it happens right at about the hour just after it's about an hour and five minutes, which gives us that, um, that that's kind of a traditional point for the midpoint, because that's where everything up to that is like, we're making progress. Everything after that is, uh, I don't know what to do here, but I, we just need to keep going, you know? So all of her plans and all of her strategies are unraveling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings us sending down, sending us down to the low point. Oh, and what would you say the low point is? Um, where's the what's the point where she's furthest from her goal? And remember, her goal is to learn their language and learn their purpose and intention. Just knowing that they've given a weapon isn't quite understanding their purpose it's just one more stake in the in the purpose so your perspective then would be that the low point is what i refer to as the midpoint the fact that she's been she's been removed from the ship the ship has been pushed away um i can understand yeah yeah, i can understand it's basically when 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 uh, cum- the communication breakdown and Shang all out declares war, he he doesn't just deploy. He says we are going to attack. He declares war, and that's when all the communication breakdown happens. Now, the thing I love about this movie is this is a movie that sees war as a failure, and it emphasizes that when you go to war, it's a failure of communication. Mm-hmm. And the whole stakes of this is all about learning. Her whole purpose is to learn the communication that she needs, or communicate with the the aliens so that she can avoid this war or she's that's what her hope is because she's seeing that they don't have nefarious intent 
or she believes that she's seeing that they don't have nefarious intent. So that moment when there's a complete blackout communication, they're not making progress anymore. And Shang declares war. I would argue that that's the low point. That's when she's furthest away. And then the ships rise up. So my, yeah, that moment my, where he's like, that's what I, I would have said. The low point was, was when, when general Shang has, uh, he, he's like these moments away from, from doing something drastic. The point where she actually has to rush to the second climax then where she, cause she has to um, intervene because things are about to go, go to hell in a handbasket. So what the, the what I had written in my notes for the for the low point was General Shang is going to attack the heptapods. He's like that's it's not just he's mobilizing that which you you've obviously you know pointed out as the midpoint, but when he's actually about to launch an attack and we're moments away from that happening. Yeah, that's what I had as the low point. Yeah, it's yeah. So it, it's the moment when he declares war and the ships rise up yeah. because that's that's when they're furthest from achieving their goal. Mm-hmm. And then she realizes, and this is this is kind of typical story structure. Mm-hmm. The low point is when everything feels like it is all is lost. There's no communication, total breakdown, and the main character has to go to some other means. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice what the what her arc is, or at least her strategy shifts from no longer trying to connect with the talk to them through the military intervention. She speaks directly to them mm-hmm. through their visions, and they speak directly to her. And that's what happens when she shifts from being like, I'm going to use the military way of talking to them to I'm going to talk to them directly. I don't need the military intervention at all. And that's that's what usually happens. You hit the low point and that forces the character to come up with a new strategy, which sends us into the climax. That's why that first climax is the apotheosis. And then the second climax is where she stops General Shang from mm-hmm. going to war, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. despite declaring it. So we've got kind of this large map. We've got the impetuses. We've got the uh, dramatic questions, the midpoint, low point, and the climax. Um, and then we want to we want to talk about the hook because mm-hmm. this is incredibly consequential to the entire movie. Uh, what's the hook? What happens in the hook? So the hook is really this is this is where we go into the unconventional part of the conversation because obviously the yeah. the hook is the the story at the that we were were delivered at the very beginning where we see the life and death of louise's child and which appears to be because it's put at the beginning of the film it appears to be the sort of prequel to the film it's 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 the the the, the her early life before we go into the whole issue with the aliens and and obviously then it's not until the end of the, the film where we discover that that's actually that all takes place after the alien uh the aliens landing so that the whoa whole- spoilers <laughs> <laughs> as though we haven't already broken everything down already. <laughs> exactly i was gonna say if you're watching that we'll I'll, we push we should put this disclaimer if you're watching this right now Big spoilers. Go watch the movie first, then come back and watch this. It's the best That's part fun. of the film. This, the, the, so like the, the this is this is where all the feels come in. So yeah, <laughs> go yeah. watch it first. Yeah. So so the hook is the life and death of her daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, it puts us in a incredible melancholy state, and it colors the entire rest of the movie. Is set within the context of that hook scene, mm-hmm. and it's it's devastating. It's beautiful, like strong Terrence Malick vibes. Like I was feeling like Tree of Life meets uh, Independence Day. Right. 
I guess that's kind of <laughs> fucked up. Um, so yeah, so the hook is uh, the life and death of the daughter. And then from there, I kind of had this, uh, uh, the emotional graph of the positive and negative charges of each scene. And I just want to kind of do a quick brief run through of uh, the, the major scene structure and the, the different plot points. We have the meet cute where she meets Ian, mm-hmm. um, the physicist. Uh, then we have uh, the orientation where she's preparing. And that's that's why this is this is actually pretty conventional structure. Between the impetus and the dramatic question, it's usually about a 10 to 15 minute negotiation of stakes where you feel the real power and impact of the steps of, of the steps of crossing the threshold. Mm-hmm. So when they do actually cross the threshold, it really has power. And this movie does it beautifully. That that moment where they walk in, the tension is so high when they shift the gravity. And they walk up to that massive window. It's it's beautiful. It's my favorite part of the entire movie. The light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so then from there, she discovers the log- logograms. She starts using written language. That's the big first major step. And that's kind of her big trial. She's showing what she can do better than anybody else. And then what they do is a, a constant structure where Weber is constantly saying, I'm not sure this is the right way to do it, but you're you're all we have. So you're having success. You're making progress. So keep doing it. Um, let me see from there. Actually. there. Oh, and then, then we have the proper introduction. So then we have the scene where um, we start to slowly learn, like, uh, you know, she takes her uh, hazmat suit mm-hmm. off and connects with them. She lets them see what they actually look like without the suit. And then she puts her palm to the window, the proper introduction. Um, and then we have, this is the fi- time when we have the first vision. This is the first time that she sees her daughter. Uh, and that's directly connected. And what they're trying to say is they're rewarding her every time she shows vulnerability. Every time she strips down a little bit and becomes more exposed to them, then they, they reward her and she slowly starts to learn the language by opening herself up to them. Which I think is a really beautiful metaphor. It's a beautiful way of saying like, Every single uh, progress in the language is coupled with a vision of her daughter, mm-hmm. which is a really clever pattern. And then we introduce the first subplot. And the subplot is where we have the, uh, the military, uh, the soldier who's guarding her. Um, they're seeing firsthand what's happening and they become radicalized by listening to uh, news and podcasters that are, you know, super hyper suspicious and hyper paranoid and um, so that subplot starts to plant some seeds. Um, and then we hit the high point, that montage in the center. And this is actually pretty conventional. Usually there is a montage right before the midpoint because we start to feel like, okay, we've got our wheels going. That first trial worked really well. Everything's running smoothly and we're seeing a montage. And the interesting thing is the montage is narrated by Ian. Mm-hmm. It's not narrated by Louise. Why do you think that is? Mm, good question. Uh, to to possibly plant the seed of Ian and Louise and their future relationship, maybe to have, like that they are like obviously as a you know when they become one, as it were, there will mm-hmm. there will be that point in the future where that that happens, even though we don't we don't see that take place. Maybe some kind of. Uh, but why tell from his perspective? We're hearing voiceover, yeah. inner monologue mm-hmm. from Ian. And that whole, like, I think it's about a four minute sequence is him explaining all the progress they're making. 
Uh, so I, I have a theory about that, but I'm not quite ready to present it until we get through some of the, the inner conflicts. Sure, no, it's interesting. The um, thing that comes to mind for me is the fact that we've got, so you get, obviously we've had Louise's narration and she's, and because she's the protagonist, she's the only narration we get apart from this point. So mm -hmm. uh, some connection between the two of them is what I'm thinking, but I'm, I'm intrigued now. <laughs> okay. I, I can't wait to dive into that. Uh, so then we have the offer weapon section, mm -hmm. uh, the scene where they offer the weapon. And then we have this, uh, these are two major plot points and they all happen in the same scene. Uh, the first one is the gift and the explosion. So they give the gifts of all the, all the, the which is ultimately their language, mm -hmm. all the glyphs, all the logograms. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the explosion happens in the same scene. Really great scene, really high stakes. Great, like dramatic, uh, dramatic irony, which is really well structured. Um, and then the ship's withdrawal and then com total communication blackout and Shang declares war officially. Mm -hmm. Then we have the first climax, the apotheosis. So then we have the disclosure of the divorce. This is when she has the vision of her daughter um, explaining like uh, that divorce is okay, that it's okay to be sad about divorce. Mm -hmm. um, and she comes back and she's like, I think I know why my, my husband divorced me. And then Ian's like, you were married. Yeah. Which yeah. is, they still haven't revealed that it's a flash forward yet. Yeah. So you're like, why do I care about your divorce when you're in the middle of like saving humanity? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so then everything builds up to the phone call to talking to Shang. And then we have the big, the big climax. And then finally we have the, uh, uh, the resolution, uh, and then the family, like we, we close with like that kind of, you know, come full circle, literally, uh, to, uh, the family and, uh, the progress, uh, that she made, mm -hmm. um, uh, as a con consequence of, of going through everything, she marries Ian and then has the daughter and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, this kind of tracks the, the overall emotional structure of it. Again, I don't, there were some highs and lows, but I, I wouldn't say that there was like exuberant. Uh, like he's going for kind of a more like ethereal or sublime feel, which yeah. very few people can do it as well as Villeneuve. Absolutely. And I love that. Mm -hmm. um, but the emotions, uh, we'll, we'll get into this when we, when we talk about the, the critique of it, mm -hmm. but um, I do feel like there were some, some emotions that were uh, not quite genuine and we'll get really? into that a little bit. I find that interesting. Yeah. You have the family montage and, and in such a, a high uh, positive emotional position on the on on the uh, on on the graph because for me that's like a, the reason why it got me in the feels is because I'm, I'm I'm looking I, I was crushed by what I what I was what I was witnessing in that moment when she's when you realize everything has already been told to us as to how that relationship is going to go, all the things that are going to mm -hmm. happen. And we've, now we realize exactly why the divorce happens. Well, you know, Ian's um, consternation about the decisions that were made by Louise and, and to, just to, to suddenly all of that family's history and resolution to become clear. For me, that was just like, oh, gut punch, gut punch. Okay, interesting. Um Let's talk about Louise specifically. So, so once we have the structure, this is simply the plot structure, which means that the plot is just the characters have a problem. They set out to solve it. This is, and this is tracking the emotions of how close they get to solving the problem. That's just dramatic structure, how we present the way they solve their problems. Now let's dive into the character. And I always divide the character into these basic dimensions, which is conscious desire, unconscious drive, 
the Achilles heel that reveals the uh, moral imperative. And then from there, we can extrapolate theme. Okay. So um, when we, when we look at that, and that's what we define as kind of the inner conflict of the character. When we look at that, what is, let's dive into Louise's inner conflict. What is her conscious desire? What does she set out to do? Discover the alien's purpose. Exactly. So the conscious desire is always the dramatic question. It's always, why are they setting out to do this mm -hmm. or not what they're setting out to do? Um, so, and the, what they're trying to do is the conscious desire is seeking out the object of desire, which is like, you know, the thirst makes them drink, you know, water is the object of desire. Um, and the conscious desire is the thirst. Uh, so the unconscious drive is the reason why they want to solve this, uh, problem, why they're pursuing this. So in Louise's case, what is her unconscious drive? So this is like, this is the, the part of the story that's going to, there's so much going on because this, because this, yeah. this, there's several different stories there. Um, and even removing the military story, you have Louise's, mm -hmm. the, the underlying narrative that is being weaved um, clandestinely about the, um, about the, the, the life with her family. And then you have the story of her and her, her trials trying to understand the alien language. Um, it's sometimes in my mind, it's difficult to separate the two and find out it, it, how, how would I, how would I define these terms in relationship to, to, to both of those things happening at the same time. Um, but I, what I was thinking, and I'm probably wrong, is that she, she's got to discover the alien's purpose is her conscious desire. I think the reason she wants to discover the alien's purpose, and again, I'm probably way off, but I think she's in doing that. She's trying to discover her own purpose, her own meaning in life. I think that, that she's trying to live out her purpose and her meaning. Um, especially given that this is a story about communication, about connecting, about oneness. Mm -hmm. And she begins isolated alone. Um, and, and it's, it's self isolation as well, seemingly, especially considering the conversation she has with her mother on the phone. So I feel like mm -hmm. she doesn't know who she is or what she's supposed to be doing. Um, because she, I think there's a sense that she's not, she like she's alone, isolated, unfulfilled. So is she trying to find fulfillment in the job? So I know that sounds really convoluted, but I think maybe she's trying to discover her own meaning or purpose, but maybe that's way off. So I, I agree with you. I think that's very broad and I think you're being very generous. <laughs> I genuinely, I, I, this is my biggest issue with it. Um, with the story structure is that I believe that there's a lot of emotional hand waving to distract you from basically what is her inner conflict that drives her for most of the movie. Mm -hmm. So I believe that the inner conflict. Uh, so what motivates her to answer the dramatic question or to engage the dramatic question is oh, it's a big blank slate. We have right. no clue what is driving her mm -hmm. because what makes her want to, and, and we'll get into this, like why, why that is. It's probably my biggest frustration. Well, not frustration. It's a brilliant movie and it's a beautiful movie. And it's one of the best adaptations. Did you read the uh, short story that it was based no, on? No, I, 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 okay. I was put off by the fact that I was, uh, that what I was told about it is that it's not done in the same kind of uh, non-chronological 
uh, sort of form. Oh, I disagree. I totally disagree. It, it is not. Yeah, it's nonlinear. So the short story is is a um, it's a, it's a really brilliant short story, and it's called the story of your life. Um, and it, um, I I, I actually think it gets closer to engaging the question of time and language. Um, and it's a big it's a big idea story. So it's mostly about the story of like, what if language is about time? What if what if like the language of the universe is time? And we're all just learning to speak it as we engage the concept of the fourth and fifth dimensions, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a lot of fun. By the way, real quick, we, we've hit an hour, um, but I think this is the real meat of the stuff. Yeah. And yeah. are you comfortable with like uh, moving forward with it? 100%. 100%. I'm all awesome. There. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. So uh, basically, uh, we don't know what is driving her uh, at any point until later like we don't we don't get any insight into who she really is um and the reason why is when when we when we talk about theme so let's let's discuss this usually the inner conflict is the um is the mechanism we use to deconstruct the character to identify the theme but this has themes and this is what i think is brilliant about villeneuve is that he has taken uh what is pretty much a lot of flawed time travel tropes and really dove into what does it mean? Like, why do we have this obsession with time travel and uh, more so than why, like the aliens almost become incidental mm-hmm. to the question of, of the story. What's really they're They're just a source of conflict yeah. or a new moral sphere. But what's interesting is that they're, it's really about time travel. That's what the story is really about is the, what is the nature of remembering the past, being present and not knowing the future. Um, so because of that, like on its, on the surface, the, the, the moral imperative kind of comes to, uh, to, um, to, to see another person as, uh, being human, we must risk our own security. And so that's, I would say is the moral imperative. That's the source of all the conflict. Um, every single time she makes progress, it's because she's risking her own security. She's taking off her hazmat suit. She's, uh, putting herself out there. She's letting them into her brain. She, and when she does that, they reward her with learning the language. So each conflict, uh, the, the moral imperative is the source of the conflict. It's external source of the conflict, uh, which it begins to inform the theme. And the theme is what we learn from the moral imperative. That's the difference. A lot of people think the moral imperative is the theme. But the moral imperative is simply this, the sphere or the rules of morals, that which must be done to survive within the sphere that they're navigating. And then the theme is the moral that we can extrapolate from negotiating with the moral imperative. Uh, and I came up with uh, progress is only made uh, when we overcome our tribal instincts. And our tribal instincts are, are uh, basically that desire of if we don't understand it, we better kill it. We better fight it because we got to make sure that we win. And the only way we really make progress is when we subdue that instinct to stop to like, our, you know, the tribal instinct go to war if, if we don't understand something, but progress comes from having the, the security and the, maybe the privilege to be able to feel secure enough to take certain risks. And that's where you find progress. The magic you're looking for is on the other side of the risks that we have to take and the work that we have to do. 
uh, which a uh, uh, powerful theme, but I honestly think because Villeneuve is a brilliant filmmaker, he's actually having a much bigger conversation, mm-hmm. not just about, you know, modern political themes, but the theme of the human condition, um, which is, you know, what is arrival really about? And this is where, you know, we, we bite deep into the, uh, into the beef. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the meaty side of it. This is the bloody steak. Um, I had this theory. Tell me what you think of this. I believe every time travel movie is about an existential crisis. Now, an existential crisis, you know, lots of, uh, there are several philosophers that were particularly interested in this question, like Camus, uh, Nietzsche, Sartre, uh, Heidegger, Kierkegaard. Uh, and they all kind of um, identified that the human condition is primarily preoccupied with this existential crisis that that informs all of our choices and the, the, the kind of anxiety of the human condition. And an existential crisis basically is like the persistent anxiety from having to make highly consequential life choices with no clue if they are the correct decisions. And that's the whole basis of the existential crisis. So uh, we're basically brought to a hyper focus when we're experiencing a hyper, uh, a uh, uh, ex- existential crisis, we're kind of hyper focusing on death and mortality. And that, that focus is, makes us very aware that the time we have on this life is very limited and each choice we make has higher consequences because the resource of time is becoming increasingly limited. So, um, so just by virtue of the fact that we live in the present, remember the past and don't know what the future is, we're always forced to make choices with limited ideas or with limited understanding and limited insight. So I believe arrival is ultimately a fantasy about a woman dealing with the tragedy of outliving her daughter. And I think that's the core of what the meaning of arrival is really about. I think that's the thing that really genuinely fascinated Villeneuve. That's also in the short story. The short story is an epistolary kind of story where she's talking to her daughter in the present tense about things that will happen. And she's writing a letter to her daughter in this kind of trend, like she's transcending linear time. And she's talking to her daughter from a point of insight, but, uh, but she's talking about things in the future because the whole story is all about how she learns the language of time and the language of the universe is time. And she transcends and gets perfect knowledge of her whole life. And she only has knowledge of what she learns during her life. Mm. And because of that, she is eliminated from the existential crisis. So this, this idea of having lost her daughter is so painful for her that it creates this feeling, this fantasy of if I could just know, if I could have just known that you were going to die at the age of 25, then I might've made different decisions. But now that I know that you're going to die at 25, I'm going to enjoy every single moment and soak this up and not make any mistakes. And I believe that's the subtext. That's the tragic subtext beneath all of it is it's, you know, the, the aliens and the time travel ultimately are, they're, they're metaphors that help us to create the, uh, the rules of the universe that allow us to engage in this fantasy of, first of all, the pain of losing, you know, like, um, you know, my sister passed away um, when she was 38. I was young at the time. 
and just seeing what my parents had to go through. Uh, like it's, it's something that most parents, well, I would like to say all parents, but most parents can't even begin to fathom that. And I think that's a, f- a fuel that helped to kind of generate this insight about the question of time and the existential crisis. And it's all through the entire movie. It's this epistolary of her talking to her daughter and creating this question. Now, the thing that this engages, the, the, the short story in particular really engages the question of determinism. Are you familiar with determinism? The things are a, philosophy. a fate, destiny, things are going to turn out the way they're going to turn out regardless of your... Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And determinism basically suggests that there is no free will. There's mm-hmm. just the illusion of free will. Yeah. Um, do you follow like the, some of the philosophical discussions like between like Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett? Sam Harris, I, I, I have seen a lot, of, uh, a lot of when he's having those debates with the likes of Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson. I've seen those discussions. I don't know the other person mm. you reference. Okay, so Daniel Dennett is a so they're on the opposite ends of the argument about free will. Okay, and Sam Harris is a strong proponent saying well, there is no free will; it's all an illusion. Um, and then uh, Daniel Dennett says, not only is there there is free will it's very dangerous for people to say that there isn't. And, you know, a lot of the pretext is, is that the claim that there is no free will is that, you know, we're largely the products of our chemical makeup and all the choices we're making, we can pretend that we're in charge of the control or of the choices we're making, Mm -hmm. but all of our chemical makeup, our history, our nature, our DNA, our social conditions all determine our choices for us. And therefore, there is no free will. And once you understand that time is infinite, and just like we remember everything in the past is determined, everything in the future is also determined. So all choice is just an illusion. And the 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 short story, the story of your life, goes into this pretty uh, in detail. Basically, it, it makes a case that everything is deterministic, that that's why they know 3,000 years from now that they're going to be uh, that they're going to have a problem. They're going to need help from humanity. The aliens will. Um, so this movie is largely about determinism and saying that uh, time is set in stone. This is fate. She never gets to choose anything because now she has full knowledge. She's learned the language of time. She has full knowledge that her daughter is going to be born. She's going to die at 25. Now, the interesting thing is, is that she... Uh, um. I totally blanked. Okay. So uh, in the, in the short story, she uh, falls from uh, climbing, like the, the daughter falls and that's how she dies because oh. she was a rock climber. Yeah. Okay. And in the movie, I thought it was a smart adaptation because if you know the future, you know, your daughter's going to die at 25. Of a specific You're not going to say something. Yeah. 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 From an accident that happens on a day that you know is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and but according to the deterministic paradigm, she can't say anything, even though she knows it, Mm -hmm. which brings up the moral problem of if you know your daughter's going to die and you can do something about it, you're a devil if you don't do something about it Mm -hmm. and you deserve all the pain Mm -hmm. that you would feel from losing your daughter. So in the movie, they made it cancer and there's nothing to do about it, Mm -hmm. which is. Uh, a better decision to kind of adapt it because it's, you know, it's like, there's, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Then it asks the question of, you know, if you have a child that, you know, is going to die at 25, 
would you still go through and have the life? Mm -hmm. Now, the argument is that, you know, Ian got really pissed when he found out that she knew that she's going to die at 25. And he, she said, I made the wrong. He thinks I made the wrong decision because you were sick, which I'm like, I, I just, I don't know what kind of father went, if he knew that his daughter was going to die at 25, suddenly distances himself from his daughter. It's an interesting choice. I just don't believe it. it you know, I, 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 I never doubt the, the, the darkness and the shadow and the depravity of the human heart, just because I, 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 I know certain aspects of, of my own. Uh, I don't believe I'd ever do something like that, but you, you know, you never know. Yeah. Um, and I just think that like, we have to, I try my best not to judge when someone does something monstrous. Cause I think that there is a monster inside me that's just being contained somehow. And I think in that, in mm. that particular instance, uh, that's that is where the heartbreaking element is that we know not only are they going to lose their daughter but he leaves her because he thinks she made the wrong choice and i think that the, i think that it's very interesting like i i would i'm i saw something very very different <laughs> when watching arrival okay. but probably because yeah. i didn't read the book you've got the book um sort of uh themes and and the the, the talking mm -hmm. points ingrained in your understanding of the of the whole story which is obviously like it, it it helps to to understand where it all comes from but because i don't have that background i'm looking at it going ian is having the conversation about choice there's mm -hmm. it, they don't focus on the determinism because the the focus on the uh, that, that the, the, the 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 question that you're left with when the movie is finished is what would you do in ian's position what would you do in louise's yeah. position and so the question yeah, exactly. is choice it's not it, it was good. These these things were going to happen no matter what, and you know it's fate, it's determined. The question is about choice. So I think that yeah. I think that if Denis Villeneuve took that book and understood the, that aspect of the book, I think he flipped it on its head and went the other way with it. I don't think he went deterministic. I think he went. I think he went full free will. And what with having free will and having that knowledge, what decision would you have made? Ian decides through through the darkness of his own heart that like, I would rather distance myself from my daughter. So as not to feel as much pain when she's gone, because I didn't know her, I wasn't close to her. Right. And then he says, mm -hmm. to, he says to Louise, you made the wrong choice. You, we should not have had a child. When I asked you, did you want to have a baby? You should have said no, because you knew what was going to happen. And if she never came into our lives, this is the principal thing. If she never came into our lives at all, would we even feel sad? Uh, so I think that it's more which I, I, I call bullshit on the uh, so yeah you're making some really good points first <laughs> of all I think you might have persuaded me that Villeneuve did go a different way than determinism mm -hmm. but we'll, I want to talk about one specific story structure thing that revealed that sure but um, but I do call bullshit that any grown uh, I don't know you're right you're right people are capable of uh, amazing amounts of selfishness and toxic behavior I agree but the thought of, well, my daughter's only going to live 25 years. If I knew she was going to die at 25, then I wouldn't have had her. It's like, bullshit. You definitely would have had her. Like, twenty, most of humanity never lives past But this 25. is why Louise makes the choice, right? Louise makes yeah. the choice yeah. to have the daughter because he, she has seen that entire life they'd have together. Whereas he's looking at it from the perspective mm -hmm. of, I wouldn't know. I would never yeah. have met the daughter. 
we'd never have had to experience anything. She wouldn't have had to live a life where she only got 25 years. He's being pessimistic. You know what I mean? If he was an optimist and go, yeah. oh, got, she got 25 yeah. great years. We gave her 25 great years, but he's not looking at it like that. He's looking at it like she only had 25 years. She didn't even get to have a full life. And now we're miserable without her. You made the wrong choice. So I'm trying, I'm trying to give the devil his due. I still think, uh, yeah, I still think that Ian as using that as a pretext. He just didn't want to be with her. But like the idea that like, you know, your daughter's going <laughs> to, because it's, it's bullshit. If you love somebody and you only have, you know, five minutes or 25 years, you want to spend, you want to soak up as much time as you sure. can and celebrate that life as long as you can. Which is what I love about this movie is that ultimately that is what this is about. This is about a mother who is constantly her whole purpose in life is just so poured into the well-being of her daughter. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I know you only have 25 years. I want to live it up as much as I can. And that's beautiful and tragic. I think that's why I, I for me, I, I, I fleshed out in my mind watching that. I like if, when you talk to me about like, no, there's no unconscious drive and there's no Achilles heel, but there is a moral imper imperative and it's this, and there's a theme and it's this. Yeah. And I, and you explain the moral imperative and the theme. And for me, it's very, very much tied into the military story, but not into the mother child story. So how does, I agree. how does that all tie together? What, what, what I read from it in terms of kind of connecting all those things was that's why I said her unconscious drive is to discover her purpose. She's diving into her work. She thinks that her purpose is to um, be uh, this incredible linguist, whatever. Um, she's, she's, deri she's de deriving her meaning and purpose in life from her, from her work. It, her Achilles heel is she, is she becomes isolated alone. She is she's mm -hmm. self isolating as in order to achieve those goals. And then that means that when she eventually discovers her real purpose and it's actually to be a mother and th that that's what she was missing all along she was she was removing herself from the one thing that actually would have given her the most purpose in life because then she has that child and the icing on the cake to drive the point home is just that when she is faced with an awful horrific heartbreaking painful experience with the child she still chooses the child she still decides mm -hmm. I am going to have this baby because that is my purpose. I am here to be a mother to this girl for whatever length of time that I have her. And that, yeah. so that kind of the moral, moral imperative for me is derived from that. And it's almost, a, so, so, you know, so I, I, Oh, go ahead. Just to finish. Sorry. The, the traditional yeah. story structure, we normally have an, let's say an A story, that we're trying to wrap up. And at some point along the way, you come across, a, you start the B story. The B story is giving you extra information that feeds into the A story. So that, so that when the B story culminates, you're, you are given the exact information you need for the A story to be, to be completed appropriately, to be resolved. And I, what okay. I love about Arrival is I think it completely flips the, the idea of A story and B story on its head. We think we're following the A story when we're following the aliens and the military and the, mm -hmm. the and Louise trying to understand the alien language. We think that's the A story. And there's some weird B story going on that she's going to discover something about these memories that's going to trick. She's going to learn something about her relationship with her daughter that she had in the past in order to solve the problem going into the future. And then it completely gets flipped. And it's like, no, 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 no. The A story is her relationship with her daughter. It's a story we start with. It's the story we end with. That is. Okay. Let me story. ask you a question. Wait, let me ask you a question. Yep. What, what is the problem she's trying to solve with her daughter? Uh, well, this, I think this is why they do it this way. There is, I don't, the problem is not presented to us until the very, very, very end. 
The problem is, mm. do I make the decision not to marry Ian or not to have a daughter with Ian? Did I make the wrong choice? Let's say, because like, if, mm. if free will is an option in this, in this version of the story, not in the book version, yeah. then she yeah. could decide, I am not going to have this child. So, she, you know, this is, we're, we're, we, we're not privy to that information, you know, because we're, that's being hidden from us that she's having mm. this internal, uh, 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 that she has this problem that she has to contend with right at the very, 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 very end of the film for us. Mm-hmm. But that's something that in, because she doesn't exist, her brain doesn't exist in time anymore. She's contending with that, you know, the, the, at every point. And so I think that the A story is this story about exactly what you said. You're, I think you're, I think you're spot on in, in, in terms of what is Arrival really about? It's about the mother mm-hmm. and the daughter. It's about that yeah. relationship. That is the A story. And this crazy mm-hmm. sci-fi adventure that we go on in, in discovering this power that she has that inevitably creates this dynamic where she, where she uh, it then informs the A story to the degree that she can see the past, present, and future. She has a choice to make. What choice does she make? And she chooses to have the daughter. And I think, I think that, that is the story. And everything that we see. Okay. Just... I believe that is the uh, emotional through line. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that's the story. The 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 story. She's not trying to solve a problem with her daughter. We're having moments. There are some small moments of com- of conflict she has with her daughter. Mm-hmm. But mostly, it's moments where she's remembering her daughter and having this incredible moment of thank God I have this. Like thank I'm so like this is so meaningful to me to have this time with my daughter. It's extreme. Like the whole journey that I have but that's not the story. It is an emotional dimension that, so, so here's a question. Does Louise have an arc in this movie? Usually we use the inner conflict to identify what the arc is. Yeah. However, because of the way it's structured, I believe that Villeneuve was so brilliant that he, so the, the I would argue the, the the short story does not have any arc at all, which is fine. I would the say the film does. Okay, uh, what would you say it is? So because I said that the unconscious drive was was her trying to find her purpose, and then the Achilles heel was her isolation. For me, it's that she's decided her she was initially isolating herself to to get to dig herself into her work, and then she her arc is to to do the opposite right she's she's determined that oh i'm 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 actually i'm isolating myself what i need to do is i need to find closeness i need to find purpose in the relationships because again the story is about communication so I, mm-hmm. although this is probably not in the book the story is about communication the story is about oneness when we are when we are like because it's like in the military story it's not just the military it's the world right we are the world all has to become one in order for the story to be resolved because they're all yeah. fr- yep. all the different nations are doing different the things. external conflict is a metaphor for the internal conflict yeah. right 100 percent, absolutely 100 percent. so with all these different nations in conflict with one another that's you know it's it's not until they all end up having the same purpose they're all unified with the same purpose that the that, that we have the resolution and so so the oneness uh an analogy kind of goes into her story as well because she's 
that's where she finds that with the when when her family are connected when she's isolated and alone she doesn't have that mm-hmm. you know unifying oneness that she ends up having now that you know that that falls a little bit short when it turns out that ian walks away from her but that's his decision it's not her decision her decision is i choose yeah. i choose family i don't choose isolation anymore so that's that would be correct so, for me this this is one of the I think you're definitely onto something. I, this is one of the things that makes, I believe Denis Villeneuve so exceptional as a director Mm -hmm. is that he took, uh, and a lot of the plot points in the movie are not in the short story at all. Like in the short story, they never learn why they're there. There's never a, we came here so we can trade. Uh, and there's no threat. There's no explicit threat. Uh, like General Shang doesn't exist. There's no declaration (laughs) of war. Right. Okay. They literally, they literally, the, the aliens show up, give her the language, and that language helps her to understand the context of the relationship yeah. she has with her daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they leave. Yeah. And they're just gone. They just disappear. And they don't and she never knows if they're gonna come back or not. So that is the A story so, in the book. <laughs> the whole daughter relationship is the A story. Yeah. Book. I agree. Right. Yeah. Uh well so arguably technically still the A st- so, so the story is the character wants something and they have a problem to solve, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what we draw from that, the subtext, the themes, and the the meaningful stuff is uh, the engine that drives the why they're trying to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that she does have an arc, and this is where Villeneuve, uh I'm sorry, who's the screenwriter? I'm blanking on his uh, name. Is it Mark? Uh, oh, no. Um, Eric Heiser. Eric Heiser, right? Eric Heiser. Eric Heiser is the, okay. is the himself and Denis Villeneuve did the script based on the book yeah. by Ted Chang. Yeah, so I believe this adaptation is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because what they did at the beginning was they introduced a moral dilemma, and the moral dilemma is if you know your child is going to die an excruciating death of cancer and it's going to be heartbreaking and devastating, would you still make that decision mm-hmm. of, of giving birth to them? Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult question that everybody would need to answer for themselves. And I like, I, you know, I'd like to think that I would be like, of course I would still want to have the child, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why, it, that's why it's an interesting dilemma. Cause there might, you know, there'd be other people who have good reasons for not doing it. Um, but it, it presents that at the, in the opening scene and the whole question, the movie, not Louise's character in the scene, the movie, the, the director, the screenwriter, they're saying, uh, they're showing how she feels insecure about her decision. She feels like I'm in conflict with this a little bit. She's in conflict about Ian saying you made the wrong decision. And so she's retracing her steps over and over again. This is what happens with a lot of the existential dilemma or the existential crisis. You're constantly retracing your steps saying, where could I have done it better? Why did I, did I do this? Did I do the wrong thing? And then by the end of the movie, she is so completely, she now, as we go through this whole gauntlet, she now has the moral conviction of saying, absolutely, I did the right thing. I chose to have my daughter and I chose to celebrate every day with her. Mm-hmm. And I chose to, to have this life with her. So because of that, that's where I would say the arc is, is at first there's a kind of moral quandary, which generates the fantasy that she could have perfect knowledge 
And even if she had perfect knowledge that she would still make the right decision. So at the end, she has the conviction and confirmation that she did make the right decision, which is beautiful. And then the aliens coming to earth and giving the language of time and all that, like that's, that's the, the metaphorical pretext that gets her to, that allows her to indulge in the fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, let me kill this timer real quick. Um, so that, that's what I think is so brilliant about it, but, but it does it at the expense of certain dramatic emotional investments. That's part of the reason why I felt when I first watched the movie, I felt a little betrayed. I felt a little like cheated. And I want to tell you about specifically about that. But first, real quick, I want to talk about this concept of determinism as it relates to Villeneuve. I think Villeneuve was genuinely engaging the philosophy of determinism Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. And specifically, you know, determinism is basically uh, the short short story talks about this a little bit, but it says that um, uh, basically determinism is basically says that if you know everything from beginning to end, if you read the book of life, that means every choice after that is just a performance. And all you're doing is like, you already know that you're going to make this choice. Therefore you have to make the choice just because that's how, what it was, what was determined in advance. So if fate is determined, then all choice is an illusion, which is interesting when you think about that from the perspective of a film. A film is a unit of deterministic performance. From beginning to end, those characters always make those decisions. A film is deterministic. Uh, And then, which is interesting because that opens up to the theme of we are watching a movie from the other side of the screen. Uh, That's what I think is so interesting about the film. Like, so when she walks up to the window uh, to, to talk with the aliens, it looks like we're on the other side of the movie screen looking out. Mm-hmm. And I think that was Villeneuve's way of saying, as an audience, once we watch the movie, we can go back and watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it. And this movie is a movie about rewatching movies and also life. And that, uh, so the aliens actually represent the audience's kind of superior position of once they've watched it, they can go back and rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Well, the actors are playing out this deterministic performance on the other side of the screen, mm-hmm. which I think is really brilliant way of, for Villeneuve to engage the concept of determinism. Um, and it also, it also uh, changes the way like we engage it. I, I also think that it's that uh, what, what he's trying to say is that as an audience member, once we have the benefit of hindsight, which is an existential element, we become kind of God's judging our past with the, with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of looking back over the past, we become godlike figures, judging, condemning, and celebrating the choices that we made in the past, which is fantastic. I, I believe that ultimately this kind of turns um, arrival into, if I could rename it, it would be conversations with the hand of God. which I I believe that directly informs a lot of why they created the artistic development. Most of what we're seeing from the aliens is this kind of hand figure coming down out of this veil of clouds, handing humanity this next step in progress. 
And it has seven and figures because seven is the number that represents God in the Bible. <laughs> could be. Uh, which is interesting. In the movie, they had six fingers. But in the, in this, in the novel, they had seven. Oh, right. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So you can actually count them. Interesting. Uh, oh, that's actually kind of... And I, I don't know why that is. But in the novel, they made a really specific oh, reference to... That's actually... Sorry, you're just, you're, you've blown my mind there a little bit because because <laughs> awesome. if it's the hand of God in the book, because it's seven fingers, seven in the Bible represents God, six represents okay. man. So I'm, oh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering as he switched it from seven to six, because it's more like the hand of man. Is it like, because we're that's... the ones on the other side of the screen? I don't, I don't know. I, that, this is one of those moments where like, can we just sit like them? I want to sit Villeneuve down and be like, all right, I want to pick your brain about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. I think the guy's a genius. I, he's amazing. I, th I think he takes great material and still manages to elevate it. Mm -hmm. I think he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that, that was one element of, of determinism. And I do think that this is making a case for determinism, but I want to talk about like how the, I believe the plot structure undermines that a little bit. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I, I love this idea that like time is the language of the universe and that is what they came here to tell. Like these are fifth dimensional creatures mm -hmm. crossing into the veil of a fourth dimensional creatures. We're fourth dimensional creatures. We see, you know, length, width, depth, and time. Those are four dimensions. Fifth dimension would be dimensions that we can't quite comprehend because of our, because we're in the present. Our limited scope. Remembering yeah. the past, not in the future. Limited scope. Exactly. Um, so um, let's let's get back to uh, what I feel like all the emotional hand waving was a distraction from what I felt was ultimately I felt cheated, and the reason I felt cheated was because of the hook. I believe the hook is a cheat, and the reason why it's a cheat is because it starts off with this devastating. It, it gets me to emotionally invest in a story about a mother and a daughter. And I deeply care. I mean, because it's great performance, it's great direction, it's really effectively done. And I'm, and then we come away from this, and it doesn't say it's a flash forward. It, it implies, using cinematic language, that it's a flashback. Mm -hmm. So when we see her walking into class, or we see her talking to her mom, we believe that this is a woman who is dealing with the loss of her daughter, and that she is uh, in the emotional aftermath of a great trauma. And we use that to fill all of the choices. We impose that, that knowledge into all of the choices she's making. So when she goes to talk to the aliens and learn their language and find out their purpose, we believe that she is still processing the death of her daughter, which every single scene, and they deliberately structure it that way so that every single scene we feel this emotional devastation lingering through it, you know, like after the loss of my sister or my father, I, I went through that. Like I would go through, you know, I just got to go solve a problem at work. And I'm thinking about like how my father once taught me about, you know, the nature of physics and stuff. And that affects the choices I'm making. And with, with this movie, it implies that she's going through this journey of coming to accept her daughter, her daughter's death. But then at the apotheosis scene, we, we think every time we have a flashback, it's one moment where she's learning to accept her daughter's death. And instead, what's actually happening is she's connecting with her daughter through the transom of time. And then 
at the apotheosis, she says, who is this child? The moment she said, who is this child? I was like, wait, what? It kicked me out of the movie so hard. No I was like, way. I thought the entire time she was sitting there struggling with mourning her daughter. And instead, that's why I go back to what was her inner conflict? What was her unconscious drive and her Achilles heel? Nothing. She's an empty slate. She's an empty vessel before that. Every step she made, because once you know that she's not mourning her daughter, we don't know. It's literally her just sitting there watching TV. It's her going to do lectures. It's her talking to her mom. There might be some implication that she's a lonely person, mm-hmm. but we don't know. At, at best, it's, we're guessing. But ultimately, we're sitting there over here focused on this hook scene that colors the rest of the movie about like this 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 daughter that she's lost. And we're thinking every single scene is about her emotional arc through accepting death. Mm-hmm. Nope, you're wrong. Well, that's, that is why I think that Villeneuve is so brilliant because he did make it about that. But that character in the first three acts is not dealing with the death of her daughter. She is dealing exclusively with trying to solve the problem of learning the language. Do you feel the same watching Fight Club? I think that's a digression that we should save for another podcast. <laughs> but it's just um, when everything gets turned upside down and, and it means that when you're watching it the second time around, it gives it a completely different context. I don't think that yeah. that's cheating. I think it's, I think it's using a narrative device no, to be able to I'm, listen yeah, to yeah. what he wants. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with the twist and it was used as a twist, mm-hmm. but it was a twist that emptied the character of unconscious drive. It basically said, well, you don't know what she's going through. That is why I believe they had Ian do the voiceover for the me- for the montage because because they were deliberately trying. If if it was her voice doing the montage, she would have to say, "By the way, I'm having visions of a strange girl that I don't know, mm. and I think it might be connected to my conversations with the alien." And they can't do that. Yeah. So they shifted to to Ian's perspective deliberately to try and keep you at a distance from her. Sure. And ultimately that's what I, that's what was so frustrating about it was her character. They basically said, you're not, you don't know the interior life of this character. Yeah. I went from feeling like, wow, I'm really feeling what she's going through to wait. I have no clue what she's going through. Cause I, you don't I like that though. As, As, like, I, I, I hear, I hear everything you're saying, but for me, yeah. what works Uh, with the movie for me that's why now okay. that being said i will agree with you i don't i don't like montages um that are unnecessary i didn't think that that montage with ian was necessary so it's like if, if we if we had something different in there uh we wouldn't you, we wouldn't be having we wouldn't have that problem uh at all and so the fact that he is narrating out of nowhere so, it, it, I, I, yeah i, I was it's a bit of a cop-out i like the montage i i hated that ultimately as soon as she said who is this child like if she's jumping to herself in the future her future self knows that she's the child that that's her daughter mm-hmm. so to be like who is this child immediately says wait a minute but she's not jumping this whole time she's got reveries what you know she's not she's not jumping to that person she's just getting a a flash from the future of something. So is she jumping into her brain and the other brain? She's not, she doesn't have access to her thoughts in the, in that moment. Do you jump into the past when you have a memory of the past? I remember how I felt 
in those moments. But you're not there anymore. It's a story I tell it's myself. In, it's no. So she's getting. What, what, but that's the thing. Because, so is she having memories of the future? Yeah, I'm thinking uh, for me. So my memories of the past, I re- I remember everything subjectively. We all do. But we don't remember because I'm remembering everything. We only remember we remember things in isolation. So yeah, there are things that you'll remember about the past. Fair. You get a load of everything else, and she's only remembering that Fair. moment. Yeah, but she is jumping to m- several different moments where she is obviously engaging with her daughter. Mm-hmm. And my big, if anything, I would simply cut that line of saying, "Who is this child?" Yeah, so, because like, it yeah. like it it, yeah. it really pulled me out because it said like, "Well, now I have no clue what she was going through." Because if she's not mourning the death of her daughter, then she, I'm not privy to her to her entire to her interior life. What would be it would be so um, interesting actually to 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 uh, we'd, you'd have to find a guinea pig, but to get somebody to watch a, an edited version of that film where you just remove that line and see the effect yeah. that it has. When do they realize that she is you know? She has no idea who the yeah. person is. That she's she's not seeing the the past. She's seeing the future. It'd be an interesting experiment. Yeah, that one line. That one line. I would literally was like in the theater saying, "What? Hold on. Wait a minute. Oh, back this up. Pause the movie. Stop it." Um. So <laughs> that's one of my. That's my biggest criticism because it's it said like the character you've been following. You have no idea what their emotional journey is. The subtext is like the larger meta subtext that the that the. Villeneuve is presenting mm-hmm. is a fantasy about an existential crisis about overcoming an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. But that's on the, that's on the meta level. This is a, but the character in that world, we have no clue what she was thinking now. So that is my, that's one big criticism. The other criticism is I do not like the war climax. Mostly because it is a bundle of grandfather paradoxes. Right. Uh, do you know what a, a grandfather paradox is? So uh, it's the it's creating a, a a sort of a different timeline, right? If you're if you go and you do something in one particular point in time, then uh, oh, I'm not gonna make a spend. Let right me help you. Off the dome. It, yeah, it, it, it. <laughs> it comes from that. Um, yeah, it comes from this this idea of uh, if you would travel back in time and you killed your grandfather. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, then how were you born to go to, back in time and kill yeah, him? Yeah, 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 it was yeah. it, like, so it's a paradox that's impossible. Yeah. In a deterministic timeline, that means, you know, in, in other worlds, or if it's like a split theory, like uh, like a multi-universe parallel s- story, mm-hmm. then you're just jumping from one parallel timeline to another parallel timeline, mm-hmm. you know, which is a non-deterministic way of looking at it. That's, that's the, what is it? The, the infinite universe theory. Yeah. Um, but with, um, but with this, it, like, I do believe that Villeneuve is committing to the terministic uh, <laughs> philosophy as much as the short story is. Cause the whole point of the short story is to say the language mm-hmm. is deterministic. In fact, she talks about the book of life and the old saying is, you know, um, the person who reads the book of life never tells. And from that point on, if they read their own story, they're just performing their story mm-hmm. because they already know what the choices they are going to make. And they, they reference that in the movie, which I think is also hilarious This is part of the grandfather paradox where she goes to, ex- to figure out what does the language mean? What is the point of this language? And she learns about it by jumping into a future memory, reading her own book 
and listening to her own lecture where she explains what the language is. Right. So then the question is, wait, where does the epiphany come from? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like if the epiphany came from her reading her own book. Yeah, yeah. So she wrote a book where she remembered writing the book. (laughs) So that's one grandfather. And in a deterministic world, that doesn't work. Yeah. Because that's that's one of the paradoxes. And then the other, the biggest paradox, which really throws me, is the Shang phone call. When she calls Shang, that that's one huge grandfather paradox, which is because she, she calls Shang. Number. She had to get the phone number. Mm-hmm. And the big thing is he comes up to her and says, I want you to know your phone. And he's like, I don't know why. I just feel like I need to show you this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how your brain works. I just believe that I need to show you this. Which is like, okay, so you're having some spiritual motive. Like mm-hmm. that's not determinism having like a sense of like, Oh, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, um, she says, you, you did. She goes, Oh, I called you. And she asked him, she doesn't remember calling him. Mm-hmm. This is the most important phone call in the history of humanity, because this is like where the entire universe, all of humanity, they're making contact with an alien species that is going to give change the way humanity in engages time itself and transcends the fourth dimension. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't remember a phone call 18 months before that she called and told him what his wife said to him. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is, what is, what his wife said to him when she was dying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that right there is like, why does she not remember in a deterministic world? She would remember that. So what that is implying is, so is she jumping from timeline to timeline? Like that right there is like that kicked me out. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes that really distracting. Yeah, that that is definitely an, a, a huge plot hole because that doesn't happen. I, when, I do when, think it's a plot hole. Oh, that's definitely definitely a plot hole. She she goes to the memories of her daughter in the future and she acts like normal. She and she, you know she, she's because again it's she's not jumping into that body and then acting like that person in that time. She's yeah. She's not changing. Memory. Yeah. We're just witnessing yeah. what she's going to do in the future and she's getting it like a memory. Mm. But then suddenly yeah. that, that whole same, um, uh, that format sort of changes the instant she's, she's got, she goes and has the conversation with Shang because it suits the plot. And, yeah. and so that I totally, that it makes all the sense in the world. And the only, the only, and, and- the only reason I would give it any kind of free pass is because I, I, a, I still think the movie is doing what it, what it's intended to do, at least for me, yeah, it might I not work so. for everyone, but it's still achieving its goal of, again, for me, it's like creating certain uh, ideas in the audience's mind, getting us to grapple with certain mm-hmm. ideas while also getting us in the fields, which it, so, so that's why I'm still like, it's still an incredible movie. But so th- when you're tackling with sci-fi as well, you're yeah. never, ever, ever going to do sci-fi without any plot holes. I don't think it's possible. I really don't. Mm, I don't know. I don't I think don't, it's I, I'm still an idealist. But- <laughs> Okay. So I, I, again, I still think that's why I think Villeneuve is more interested in the the idea, metaphorical idea, which is, this is about a woman dealing with the existential angst of losing their daughter, outliving her daughter. But the biggest, but the plot, uh, you know, the plot is part of how we stay engaged. Mm -hmm. And the biggest problem is this is the the whole point of this plot is she's stopping war, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
was she really stopping the war when the aliens were leaving anyway? Mm -hmm. They weren't there to have a war. Exactly. So she's like, I need to make this phone call in order to stop Shang from going to war. And what was happening instead was, well, they're already up in the universe. They've already given her the gift. There's no reason for them to be lingering around for Shang to be targets. Mm -hmm. So literally, she's not stopping a war. She's stopping them from shooting while they're still there. But if the aliens know that the war is coming, they've already given the gift. Why are they hanging around? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, and they I don't did like literally in the moment that he stops the war, they disappear, and it's like, so did she just she could just stall them? Yeah, and I know that the consequences is they're trying to say, oh great, humanity came together now. Yeah, but it's like they gave her the apotheosis; they now know what the language is. They could just go away. War doesn't even have to be an issue. They could just go away, but they probably knew and they would have known that if they did go away, it wouldn't have given the humans the opportunity to unite in the same way. Okay, so that means that they are, their ships are staying there deliberately provoking war yeah. or letting the humans become dramatically. So they're yeah. they're posing themselves as martyrs so that humanity will learn the lesson of overcoming their tribe because they we they found they find out at a certain point in the story that like it's ian being the mathematician discovers that the 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 glyphs that they receive uh the monograms that they receive are Mm -hmm. one of 12 so they must work together in order to receive the whole language and so but they learned that they learned that at the sorry go ahead well she does but the for, for all of the world to decide to work together Mm-hmm. to decide to work together. That's there still not to- enough of a reason for the aliens to hang around. They gave her the apotheosis. They gave her the reason why they're there. Mm-hmm. They already have the language. What, uh, they've declared war. Why are the aliens still hanging out, you know, a mile and a half above the surface of the earth? Mm-hmm. And the only reason is because, well, she needs to Thanks. go stop the war. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, but their motives are completely uh, it feels it feels like a plot contrivance the only reason they're hanging around is so that she can feel important enough to stop a war and bring humanity together Mm -hmm. when all they have to do is great we've delivered everything we have to i'm going to get out of here while you guys figure out this war thing Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah you could make the argument that they're deliberately placing themselves as martyrs so that humanity can learn Mm -hmm. but that gets into they're on their way out the door anyway. Like yeah. get out of there and let humanity hash this out. This is, so, this is why I'm kind of, I'm very happy that from my perspective, it is, it is almost, I know we've spent most of the runtime watching the, the alien story, but it's all sort of pretense to prime you for yeah, the ultimate, you know, question, questions being asked of the family dynamic, which has nothing to do with the aliens other than the aliens I gave agree. her this gift. I agree. So the, the thing of it is, is the way, the way I tend to think of story. Now I believe story can be anything. Mm-hmm. I do think this is ultimately about the, the, the fantasy of overcoming existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but ultimately the, the, the drama, the plot structure is designed to keep people emotionally engaged in the things that are at stake. And when we disengage from the emotional stakes, then the message of the story 
feels like a contrivance and it it no longer resonates as meaningful as it could be mm -hmm. because we no longer have this emotional engagement and what's at stake. If the story says, well, actually it couldn't happen that way because no one would be motivated to do those things, mm -hmm. then it undermines uh, the emotional investment we have in the theme. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest conflict with it is like a lot of directors say, well, I'm not really worried about plot. Plot is just a, you know, plot is for story nerds that are trying to understand theme and theme is for eighth grade essays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the reason why we need to understand plot is so that we emotionally engage in those characters and the rules of the universe that they're fighting in mm -hmm. and the rules of the universe in, uh, inform the moral sphere and the moral sphere tells us what the themes are and it makes those themes resonate. And when we undermine or shortchange the plot, the themes don't resonate as meaningful. I'm sitting here thinking, I have no clue what this woman went through because that wasn't a fat flashback. She had no clue who the woman knew the little girl was. And if they had figured out how to make this plot a deterministic thing rather than a timeline jump, whether, you know, did, did Louise change time by calling him? According to the deterministic theory, she couldn't change time. Mm -hmm. According to the deterministic theory, not only could she not change time, she would remember 18 months later when she called him and what she said to him. By the way, do you know what she said to him? What she said? In Chinese? No. Yeah, when, when she called Shang and she said, these are the words of your dying wife. Oh, what did she say? She spoke in, she spoke in Chinese and the translation is, um, oh, what is it? It's, I read it. I just, I just blanked on it. I think it's, um, and it's, I'm like, okay. And they deliberately left it to Chinese. Like they didn't translate the Chinese. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a good choice. I, th I thought that was interesting to be kind of like, it doesn't matter what she said. Mm -hmm. And it also creates that question of like, wait, what did she say? You know, people like me are going to be curious and try and find out. Yeah, yeah. And then when you find out, it's like, it should inform the theme even more, but I haven't, f but now I, I believe the theme has kind of been a little bit muddled. So I'm not convinced that that theme, what she whispered to him really has thematic resonance. Mm -hmm. And because the, contradictions of the deterministic view were so kind of muddled and the plot was a little bit muddled. That's, that's when I came away feeling a little, like, I feel like the theme was a little compromised as much as I love it. Like if you look at it as just a dream, you know how dreams don't make sense. They're, they're metaphorical narratives and dreams are always about the emotion of what it feels like to go through this. It doesn't matter that you're underwater floating down an escalator, mm -hmm. you know, in the dream, it makes sense. And you just accept it for what it is mm -hmm. because your emotions, your unconscious is trying to tell you, you need to feel like you're floating, holding onto the banister of an escalator while fish are swimming past you. Mm -hmm. You need to feel that it doesn't make sense logically, but when it comes to, and it's perfectly legitimate for films to say, I don't care about narrative and I don't care about plot. I care about the emotion and the spectacle. Mm -hmm. But ultimately the spectacle pays off when we're fully immersed. And the way we achieve that immersion is through deep emotional investment in the stakes of a story. Mm -hmm. there, needs That's my an, there needs to be an internal logic in order for you to be able to, to stay uh, anchored to the, to, to the, the, the journey that you're, you're on. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, I, exactly. Internal. That's a great way of saying it is internal logic. What do you mean by that? 
So there must be an, like it is the it is the the logic that you that that world that that resides within that world that keep mm-hmm. everything consistent. If the, if you feel like there's a there's a lack of consistency, that disconnect is what it, it disconnects you from what you're trying to follow. Whereas everything within, mm-hmm. even if it's a crazy universe where dogs can talk and you know and, and humans can fly, will buy into it as long as there is consistency within the world as soon as the consistency yeah. within the world breaks down there's an issue and and and, and i agree that's where like the, with with the with the plot issues the grandfather clock paradoxes and stuff uh, uh the grandfather paradox sorry um it, it, when they when that brings up i get how that can be an issue but the, i I, mm. I get the, the the only reason it doesn't do anything negative for me is because what was supposed to be achieved at that point for me has already been achieved in the sense that you're only getting that for the sake of the stakes, but the whole point of the story is her receiving this wisdom so as to get into that final part of the story with the family to make a very specific decision to put it on. This is why the determinism determinism aspect for me, if I were to see it through that lens, would ruin it for me. I I wouldn't be a 10 out of 10 for me because I would lose the the kind of mind-blowing kind of and and strong emotional attachment to the film because if she's going to make the same choice no matter what if it's not a question of what choice do you make because you have this power now and you can make the make the decision and he puts mm-hmm. it to her he say he asks her the question or no he sorry he makes the statement he declares you made the wrong choice as though choice was a thing that's yeah. what gets me when i watch it and i I when you're talking about kind of it, it, uh, it kind of cheating with the emotional aspect, the end of the story, the reason like part of the reason why you have the end of the story at the very very beginning of the film is to make it cyclical. Anyway, do you know mm-hmm. I mean if you if you watch the film all the way to the end and then the film restarted itself right as you finished it, it would just play right back into her walking around the ha- the hallway and it's basically the circle you know it's doing that. So there, I, yeah yeah. I get what you're saying right. about about it kind of using that uh, to kind of get you emotionally attached to the woman. But for me, mm-hmm. I like when if it in in that sense when the rug is pulled from under and I'm like, "Oh, this changes everything. Everything I thought I knew, I don't know." I'm 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 comfortable in that space where I'm like, "I have no mm-hmm. idea what, what what her motivations are now." And we still never we never really discover too much except that I go back to She's not living her her true purpose. She's in isolation. The phone call with her mother is 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 the when you rewatch it and you go, oh, okay, so she's not miserable mm-hmm. about the daughter anymore. What is it? The phone call she has with her mother, where she says, "I'm fine as always, mom. I'm, I'm all right on my own, aren't I?" Like she, she's whatever. She didn't say on my own. She goes, "I'm fine." Yeah, I'm know. butchering the dialogue, but she, but she, she yeah. But the, the, the discourse, it, it, but the implication is yeah. that I'm fine despite having lost my daughter. That's not what she's saying. We it's, have no clue fine. what she's saying. She's fine alone. I think it's she's fine alone. It's sure, fine. that's it's all about being. An I think that's you. Done. She could say, "Look, mom, I'm I'm fine after I had that car accident." Mm-hmm. No, I'm fine having the flat tire and having to walk home. But even if no, we, don't we don't know, know what know. it is, we know that she's miserable over something, and then she finds. Do we know she's miserable? Place that she, well, she's, or do we, or is she annoyed that her mom is constantly pestering her, asking if she's fine? We don't know. We have no sense of context because of that. Maybe her mother. Because they were trying to play it. They were doing the emotional hand waving of, oh, she's dealing with her daughter's death. No, they're not. No, she's not. 
No, I get it. I'm just I'm so the, the thing. The that. thing I like about that is this idea is once she learns the alien language, mm-hmm. she now has a kind of playground where she can jump through time mm-hmm. and she can visit her daughter as much as she wants. Mm-hmm. Metaphorically, I love that mm-hmm. because it's it's basically saying once you, you know, it's it's basically a, the existential crisis fantasy about memory, where mm-hmm. yes, you've lost somebody, but you always have them in your memories, so you can just visit those memories. It's cold comfort, but there is some comfort behind that. Mm-hmm. And th- that's what I like about this movie is it's about that. But um, but the, because the narrative, the, the dramatic narrative, the plot, the plotting undermined that, I'm really distracted by it. That, that's why it's like I, I wish there would have just been a little bit more uh, time to develop that. Uh, the, that dramatic side of it because mm-hmm. it didn't have to be a distraction. It didn't have to undermine the deterministic story mm-hmm. because that's what the whole movie was about. But that said, let me since I've kind of, you know, shit on it for so long, I do <laughs> want to say, I love this movie. I love all of the performances. I love the execution. I love the question. It asks a very difficult moral question. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of moral ambiguity to it. And it's incredibly immersive to, to me, one of my favorite first contact scenes I've ever seen is her going in to that uh, spaceship. Like it's a temple and she's walking through a ritual being initiated into a higher self. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. W- with some caveats. So <laughs> let me ask you now, 10 out of 10. For me, as long as I don't, look at it through a deterministic lens. Yeah. And I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna, so 10 out of 10 asterisk to see determinism. <laughs> no asterisk. Never, ever, ever look up determinism ever. Just before <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Um, any other insights, comments? I had this whole thing about the question of narcissistic arc. Uh, like the, the, the movie is compared to the shorts story, but I, I think we covered quite a bit of material with that. Yeah. Um, are there any other insights or, or uh, things you wanted to bring up with it? Uh, I, did, no, I, I think that there's an awful lot we could have gone into, which I, 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 I just did in terms of, of the role of communication in the film, because obviously mm-hmm. it's, it's, this woman is a linguist. She's all about, about, um, you know, the, uh, the idea that uh, I love the, the idea that your brain is wired by the grammar of the language that you use so our brain operates in the way that we operate you and i would be similar on a certain level because we both have english as our mother tongue and no matter how many other Mm -hmm. languages we learn um it may rewire rewire our our brain differently if we you know if if we learn learn portuguese it's not so dissimilar but it's, it's, it's dissimilar enough that maybe it'll start kind of activating certain proteins in your brain that you didn't really, you, you know, you, you didn't, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't the case before you then go learn Mandarin yeah. Chinese and it could start doing all sorts of different stuff, you know, but we'll, but, at the, yeah. but our default is always going to be whatever, whatever way our brain chose to construct itself around the grammar mm-hmm. of the English language and, and knowing how much power and potency your language has, to your the way you think is incredible one of the one of the things that um is that, that i can't remember which language it is there is like, we don't have true future tenses in english right hmm. in spare, oh because we always have the qualifier of will or the modifier yeah, will going yeah. to 
uh, using the yeah. present pre present uh, continuous uh, uh, for arrangements. There's the loads of different yeah. ways that we talk about the future, but none of it is really. It's like I, I will do this. It's like it's my desire to do this, and therefore you know what the person wants to do in the future. But it's not an actual future tense. Mm -hmm. There are Asian languages where there's no past tense, and so oh, and really, yeah. So it operates differently for them. So. The, huh. And and I had no clue. I've 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 never looked into into the um the kind of, what's what's the term uh, anthropology, uh, sociology of how 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 that affects uh, the way that they behave. But but there have been I have read some um uh, articles that talk about how they're less concerned. They get less bogged down with the past because they don't have a past tense in their language. They're not as concerned with. The history wow, and they're more concerned amazing. with going forward they're more forward thinking they're more conscientious and less bogged down with their baggage because they don't yeah. have a past tense in their language which is quite remarkable like i haven't looked wow. into it enough but that, you know i mean the, the idea that you your language actually programs your brain is really really interesting mm -hmm. to me and, and, and it touches yeah. on that you know to a large degree especially because then you learn this cyclical language and suddenly you don't even operate inside time anymore it's it's you know that's really yeah. it's an interesting thing to have done yeah yeah, that's that's actually my favorite thing about the entire movie is that it is that it does talk about the like language not only is the product of how we see the world, but it also partially informs how we see the world. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and time. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, actually, that should have been the whole podcast is how does language <laughs> and time interact with each other. But yeah. <laughs> even um, even with Latin languages, like they have two different forms of the verb to be because and we only have be. So we never yeah. think about things in terms of be temporarily and be permanently. I am cold. Yeah. You you understand, you know, I uh, it's it's how I feel physically. I'm not saying my, yeah. I am cold, that is who I am as a person. You know, or yeah. or maybe maybe if you, you, we could have a different conversation and I could say and you could say Adam you seem like a, a really uh, you know, a, friendly uh social individual and i go no i'm actually kind of cold it would ch completely change the, the the context but we have to have context in order to understand that verb whereas in latin languages yeah. you don't need to do that they, 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 you, they you have the two different conjugations uh, the two different uh meanings and so uh That's yeah true. language is just I, I i i wish i had spent more time studying that as a kid you know, just kind of imagine the, the, the ways in which it could open, it could change your perspective on things. But yeah, do you, do you speak other languages? I'm, I'm learning Portuguese because my wife is Brazilian and I, cool. I, I learned Irish as a kid. I learned Welsh as a kid. I, I was born in London, lived for a couple of years in Wales when I was very young. I was fluent and then forgot everything apart from how to count to 10. Um, which is okay. very sad. Yeah, yeah. And then I studied Irish as a, as a kid. Um, and then again, you know, we don't use that language in this country. We're taught it so that language won't die, but it's effectively dead mm. anyway, because there's only very small pockets of, of, of towns in the, on the tiny little island of only 5 million people um, that will, that will oh, speak wow. the language, um, you know, can speak the language fluently. So it's basically dying. But um, yeah, yeah, I wish I, you know, I, I wish I could remember it all. You know, you, you don't realize what you have until it's yeah. gone. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I speak Spanish fluently and I nice. get a little bit of French and Italian, but but mostly I'm just competent in in, in Spanish and English. Nice. And, but yeah, it does. It changes the way you think about the world, like the language mm -hmm. we use changes. It becomes the window, the filter through which you interpret a lot of things. Yeah. But um, and that's what I like about film is film has the nature of transcending like it has its own language that mm -hmm. transcends certain barriers. And this is a movie that I do think really starts to challenge it. I do think Villeneuve is, is taking a, a genre 
plot and plot structure and under uh, subverting that, mm-hmm. not undermining it, but subverting it and uh, turning it into a really interesting conversation about the nature of memory and the nature of loss and the existential crisis. Yeah. So, and you can have that conversation yeah. so, through metaphor in a way that you can't when you're just kind of talking analytically or you know like data driven yeah. stuff. Yep. It's like when you're when you're talking in metaphor, you 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 can understand things in a way that you couldn't understand just having a a discourse in of the science yeah. at all. Yeah, and that's 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 the thing I love the most about Villeneuve is he he always manages to elevate everything he works on. He takes it from you know stereotypes and makes mm-hmm. it archetypal, makes it mm-hmm. universal, makes yeah. it resonant. Uh, like transculturally but, yeah um, yeah yeah so arrival fantastic movie <laughs> uh should we go ahead and wrap it up absolutely cool great conversation this was so good i i learned a lot you blew my mind a few times <laughs> and i really like your pushback that that was really helpful um i strongly encourage people to disagree with me <laughs> tell me in the comments write me uh where i went wrong what i'm not getting uh, and I love hearing the different uh, points of view. And um, and again, I take the perspective of structure is there to help us to tell the stories. We are not the slave to structure. It's it's you know they're they're crutches that can help us uh, make sense of the world or scaffolding. But once you build the story, it stands on its own. Um, and this one just had a few little weak pillars here and there. <laughs> that yeah, said, a beautiful piece of architecture. For sure. Uh, so uh, that's it for Arrival. Uh, we're going to be doing a series of uh, Villeneuve movies, uh, deconstructing it. And uh, Adam, thank you so much for having this conversation. I really appreciate it. Is there anything, uh, how can people reach you? And is there anything else you wanted to share and plug? Yeah, just to, to say, first of all, thanks for having having me on, on the show. Like it, it's it's yeah. amazing to, to be able to have the conversation with you in real time and be able to debate these things. Uh, I, I certainly right. feel like, you know, whenever I talk to you about this stuff, I do get a greater understanding of of structure. There are certain things when we would just, just literally just going through the different plot points where, you know, you enlighten me as to how um, how I, I, I can, I, I, even though I've developed my own understanding of what each of them mean, it can be so uh, you, you you can get it and still be so off at times and 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 I appreciate the like giving me more insight as to how to identify those things, which is really really good. Well, can I just say I I don't think you were off. I think we're both trying to feel our way around mm-hmm. the elephant. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like I have a specific paradigm of how I think things function. Yeah. I might be wrong about all this stuff. Like that's why, like you know, to pull from every paradigm that works for you, but don't ever take it as what I say is the right thing. Oh sure. It's all my opinion, you know? Sure. But no, it's and a, I, I think that's especially true with the audience too. Like where yeah. I'm wrong or where it doesn't resonate with you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't resonate with you. So find the paradigm that works for you. Absolutely. And another aspect of, of the, the deeper levels of, of this show that you're doing as well is that is it gives us the opportunity to, to remember and realize that we, 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 it's okay to cut off the parts of yourself that you are married to or that you you are holding on to if you realize that you are wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there are moments when we were having the conversation where I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I think he's right about the dramatic question. I think he's right about having uh, where the where the low point is versus what I was thinking. Um, so like, and I'm, and I'm happy to cut those parts of me away where I'm like, no, no, I think you're, even though I, I'm not, I'm not wrong in the direction I was going. Yours makes more sense to me. So I'm okay, I'm okay with that. And that's fine. Um, cool, cool. Yeah. And you know, take it with skepticism and like, you know, play with it. And if it, if you think it through later and, you know, I especially want this with the audience, I don't, I, I have a strong contempt for the attitude, which is like, no, this is how it is. And this is the right answer. 
I was like, this is art. Art is constantly shifting and yeah. structure is just an attempt to make to understand the dynamics. Anyway, we're, yeah. we're, we're murdering the point, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, thank uh, you so much for engaging in a really good faith dialogue. I love your disagreement. <laughs> I love your insight and I really appreciate this. Please uh, check out, uh, we're going to be doing a whole series. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so I was just going to say, it's, you know, it's really helpful for me as well, especially because I, 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 as you pointed out at the beginning of the, of the, of the show, I'm a filmmaker. So being able to take these things and bring it into my own writing and then go on and make, um, hopefully things that are that you know that are better structured and 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 I can make them that little bit deeper and have that little bit more of a resonance with the audience, knowing that the, the journey that I want to take them on. This is invaluable to me. I hope it's invaluable to to the audience that are watching at home. If anybody wants to see the stuff that I'm uh, I'm creating, especially as a result of the wisdom that I'm getting here, uh, Wild Sag Media is my is where you can find me on all the different social media machines, including YouTube. Um, and um, I have a, a feature film that's out on Amazon Prime and a few other locations uh, called Follow the Dead. And there'll be more movies hopefully coming in the near future. And as I say, with all the different wisdom that I'm learning from here. So um, yeah, I, I really appreciate having me on and I can't wait to have more of these conversations. I really can't. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for giving us, uh, let's get the links in the uh, liner notes and in the comments. We'll make sure that everybody can link, uh, link to it as well and uh, check out your stuff. Like really great stuff. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for watching. We really appreciate it. Have a great week. We're going to be coming up with, I think the next one we're going to be doing is either Dune or Prisoners. Um, and we'll be doing a Villeneuve section. Uh, and uh, also on the website, uh, there's going to be a little section where you can send us questions that we're going to be covering uh, in the podcast. So uh, feel free to reach out. And um, also check out the storyboarding, cinematic storyboarding class that I'm going to be offering in 2024. Uh, have a great week and we'll see you soon. Tell me a story, tell me a story, tell me a story, remember what you said. You promised me, you said you would, you got to give in so I'll be good. Here's a tale you'll never forget. Ouch, my tail's all red. And now get up to bed. Oh, Daddy, tell me a story. <laughs>